Well, hey there, freaks. I hope you're all doing well on this beautiful, beautiful Wednesday morning. Have an incredible uh, long conversation for you with the CEO of Lowly, Alex Adelman. But before we get to that, I'd love to introduce you guys to this week's sponsor. Uh, you've heard about them before. BlockFi tax season is coming up fast, which means it's time to think about crypto taxes. I know we don't want to think about them, but we have to. Don't fall into the trap of selling your crypto to pay your taxes. BlockFi helps crypto investors pro by providing U.S. dollar funding using your crypto as collateral, preferably your Bitcoin. You get your crypto back at the end of the loan. It's that simple. BlockFi customers use these loans for anything from buying a home to funding a business. Uh, so visit BlockFi.com slash Tales from the Crypt to learn more about using your crypto without having to sell. That's BlockFi.com slash Tales from the Crypt. You freaks got a special offer there. Go check it out. Uh, very excited for this interview with Alex. Uh, we had a great conversation. Got a little drunk. Got a little cosmic. Uh, I think you freaks are going to enjoy it. As a little disclaimer, uh, I think I must say this. Lolly uh, is a sponsor of both Marty's Bent and Tales from the Crypt. Though uh, I did not bring Alex on because he's a sponsor. Genuinely curious about Lolly and uh, what they're doing. Creating a consumer-facing business uh, that works with Bitcoin and helps uh, the world uh, adopt and, and, and get Bitcoin into the hands of, of your everyday common man. So I think we had a great conversation. Um, so I hope you freaks enjoy it. From the what is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here in a relegation studio on a shitty Tuesday night. Terrible weather here in, in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, sleeting. It's uh, probably the worst weather you could probably get like in mid mid February. Uh, but to warm up this cold February night, we've got a special guest here. Uh, very excited to be speaking with this person. I want to introduce you, freaks, to Alex Alderman, CEO and founder of Lolly. Thank Alex, you for having me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks what, for coming, dude. Is now the time to say it? I guess. What's up, freaks? <laughs> <laughs> it was good. How'd it feel? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. I can check it off my bucket list now. So thank you. Well, uh, thank you for saying what's up to the freaks. And thank you for coming on. Um, for you freaks that don't know, Alex is a CEO and founder, co-founder of Lolly, uh, which is an online platform, a web extension that helps you shop at retailers and save money, basically get re rewards back in Bitcoin. Um, so before we dive into Lolly, and everything that you're building right now. Let's jump back. This is Tales from the Crypt. Looks like you have a, a very interesting story for how you ended up here. We did a little pre-interview prep. Um, so how the hell did you find Bitcoin? How did you get to building Lolly? Yeah, so um, I've sort of been on this, um, I guess, adult life mission to democratize commerce. Um, I started, um, I think, really getting into this idea of the democratization of commerce. Um, uh, when I was in uh, university and I was studying economics and I was uh, looking at like microfinance, uh, namely the Grameen Bank. And the Grameen Bank's, uh, one, of the, one of their first uh, studies um, and initiatives was to give the poorest woman in every uh, city in Bangladesh a cell phone. And seeing what that did for how it, uh, this trickle up economics uh, that occurred from empowering people and giving everybody the ability to have be on the same platform and, and have access to opportunity um, really inspired me um, and 
started the gears turning about what I wanted to build and, and what I was most excited about. Um, backing up a little bit, just been building software since I was about 12, uh, so as soon as my, my family got the, the really? family computer, yeah. I uh, started building video games um, for friends, for myself, uh, like comic book related, bunch of different styles. Um, basically, like, do you remember Game Maker at all? I do not. So it was like early, um, God, glitch. It was like okay. the first like drag and drop kind of kind of game maker mm-hmm. out there, and it, it sort of like tricked you into coding. Um, so got to do that first. Uh, loved um, like making something that somebody used, and kind of ex- almost like an extension of like going from art, Legos, connects right into the computer and like building something was really fun. What were these games like? Are they like RPG? Like Yeah, a lot okay. of RPG. Uh, there wasn't a ton of flexibility. It was a lot of like um, single character sprites, 2D. Um, you could code them to you know shoot things and capture things, eat things. Uh, it was pretty simple, mm-hmm. um, but really, really fun. And actually, my co-founder of Cosmic, um, Pearson, uh, we, were, we would like spend all weekend, you know, building these games. We would go sell them at school, uh, sort of early entrepreneurial um, venture, if you will. What was that hustle like? It was good. It was. Right. I think we sell them for like a dollar or something like that. I don't think we made much money, but it was it was fun to have like people. How do you handle like, those games? It. Like a file on a USB or a floppy yeah. disk at that time? Or I want to say we burned it onto a, a like CD? a DVD or okay. some yeah one of those DVD burners. I think I got an external. Yeah, uh, it was good. That's uh, seems like a a bit more uh, laborsome than like a, a mixtape or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have just gone full SoundCloud back in the day. Yeah. SoundCloud rapper. Yeah, that was my mistake. That's awesome, but, dude. Yeah, it was so fun. Did, so did you go to UNC? Like you studied economics, but was sort of develop, development and engineering always like with you while you're studying? Or Yeah, I always, I always kind of looked at I, I never really looked at it as like the... I never really got excited about the academics of computer science, and I also, truthfully, was an awful engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was like terrible. Like I think I, I mean, didn't, played around with JavaScript, but I actually found that um, I, I really enjoyed like building bigger and bigger platforms that served more people. And I sort of, I think, I can't remember the client. Um, actually, I, I do remember the client. It's somewhat, somewhat relevant. Uh, I was. I can say this. Um, I, I was doing, I was building a back-end education platform for Remington Gun Company. Interesting. Yeah, and they were a client in North Carolina, um, and I remember like building this platform, and, and they wanted it in .NET, and I was like, I am not going to learn .NET. Uh, and so I remember like assembling a team of like three or four engineers uh, all across the country, maybe even might have been one in Ukraine. And building this like back-end platform uh, to like teach the you know internally people about all the different guns that they had and and um, how, how like the safety capabilities, how to talk about them publicly. It was a pretty cool platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was sort of I think my first project where I was like, okay, I cannot build this, and I need a team to build it. And the end product came out better. And so I, I just sort of got um, I think the bigger the projects, the the bigger the impact. I wanted to keep going. Bigger, and I, I realized like I, I think I was better at the um, on the client side, yeah. and and actually the design, the product side, than I was ever being an engineer. So yeah, product yeah. management's a fascinating thing. 
and like the whole concept of user experience design. So I caught like the UX bug in like 2014 and like it still fascinates me to this day because there's a lot of psychology behind it and basically the study of human decisions and why they make those decisions and designing flows and spatial sort of settings and visual cues to, to sort of design a complete experience is, is something that I, I don't think a lot of people appreciate at the end of the day. Yeah, so sort of a flip the script. What's your favorite app right now? Twitter. Yeah. Pretty Twitter good. Twitter's been number one for a while and It's how we met. Yeah, it's yeah. how we met. It's our origin um, app. Yeah, I don't I'm pretty ba- I'm pretty uh I'm pretty boomer when it comes to apps. Like I only have a few that I use. I don't like to go beyond it. Uh beyond a I probably use less than ten apps a day, I would say. What does it take for someone to get you to download an app? <sighs> um that's a good question. I mean, it just has to have utility. Yeah. yeah like, I'm pretty basic. Like, uh, uh, I like hanging out with my friends and family. So I like experiencing the real world beyond it, even though my wife would argue that uh, I'm addic- I am addicted to Twitter, looking at it too often. But yeah, I really like to, I don't know, I'm very manual with things. I don't like to, to set processes via apps and stuff like that. So after Twitter, my favorite app is probably Spotify. I just listen to music all day. Mm-hmm. Um, good tunes right now. Yeah. Got it on shuffle right now. Hopefully the mics aren't picking it up. I don't think they are. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a simpleton when it comes to apps like that. But I, I do think I I don't want to say a rare case, but I think that's good. I think it's like good to have um, a filter. I mean, seeing yeah. like everything can could be somewhat exhausting, and I think you lose touch of the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like get back to the basics, and like I go through you know, if I'm building something new, I'm like, I need to get inspired and I need to download a bunch of apps and see something I haven't seen before. But uh, I think a lot of times it's just like, you know, back to basics, like what are, what are humans doing in, in real life? And then how do you build technology around that? Yeah. Right. And that's a very, uh, prescient theme for, for the quote unquote industry that we're in. Right. Um, cause that's, I mean, that's been my biggest gripe for, for a lot of the, uh, sort of ambitious projects in the space is a lot of utopian, developers building tools for each other and that's why i wanted to bring you in because i think what you're building at lolly is very practical and a great way to onboard users to bitcoin um but again before we get to lolly i know you have a story about how how you ended up there and am i uh okay to assume that that description of developers designing things for other developers is apt yeah i i uh I think that it had to come first. Mm-hmm. You need the developers to build for developers. Um, and that's, I think, extremely important for the space. The, the, the infrastructure needs to be there so that I think people like me and my team can come and, and build on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, I'm so grateful for the, the road work that has been laid out for us to just run and, and play freely on top of their rails. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm really like thankful for that. But at the same time, I think we're hitting this point where um, we've we've all the you know entire space has done a ton of work, and now it's like, how do we bring this to the masses? How mm-hmm. do we get the world using Bitcoin and get people excited about it the same way that they get excited about Twitter, same way they get excited about other other fun apps that you know make up your top ten? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have to get people as excited as we are about it, which is mm-hmm. like proving not impossible but it is hard it's hard to get people to it is because i believe to get excited about this you have to question things that you assume are sort of uh never going to change or or 
uh, objective truth and there's a lot of hard questioning and mental rewiring, if you will, to, to sort of get excited about this stuff. Um, but let's talk about Cosmic and what you're building there because it seems that like once you figured out what Bitcoin was, you got excited about it and sort of started building a business around it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I was studying economics uh, mm -hmm. in school um, and like I said, got really excited about um, microfinance, uh, enabling people, um, and um, kept thinking about this idea of um, how do you give everybody in the world the ability to buy and sell anywhere and put everybody on this like equal playing field, um, or at least give everyone the same opportunities to be on the same playing field. Um, and so um, my team and I started building um, what we thought was a universal shopping cart. And this cart was gonna live everywhere you were. It was gonna be browser extension. It was gonna be uh, you know, embedded as a JavaScript widget into sites. And anywhere you went on the web or mobile, you were gonna be able to add something into your cart and buy it. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a two-sided marketplace. We had retailers on one side, and then we had um, consumers on the other that were buying, um, and then publishers as well. So it was, a, it was a complicated business model to start with. And I think that a lot of it came out of naivety. We didn't really know what we were doing, mm -hmm. um, but I think with any project I've ever taken on, we just sort of, or like me and my team, just sort of run at it and figure it out along the way. And so age like 22, knew very little about like building a business. Um, I would say we knew a good amount about like how to build it, and I think we built something really powerful. Um, but in, you know, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, like understanding the consumer was one of my biggest learnings. And we were about like six to nine months in and realized that the world didn't need a universal shopping cart. Mm -hmm. um, we were talking to users, we were interviewing like, you know, grandmas in Omaha. And like, they, they were like, <laughs> I want my Kohl's cash. How do I get my Kohl's cash? My and favorite <laughs> UX persona is the grandmas in Omaha. They're the best. And I was, I was, it's a fun story and I'll get there, but I was literally in Omaha talking to grandmas. It was amazing. Incredible. So, um, yeah, so we just like set out building this thing um, called Cosmic Cart at the time. And um, huge I Huge fan of the name. We love to get Cosmic here at Tales of the Crypt. So huge fan of the name. Awesome. Thank you. Space, <laughs> space is my jam. Uh, space and, and now lollipops, candy. So I'm sure there's some intersection there at some point in the future. Oh, definitely. There's definitely some anime intersection there somewhere oh, yeah. out there in the world. <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> like that. So... Um, yeah, so on, on this universe, um, we were trying to build the universal shopping cart, mm -hmm. um, talk to hundreds of retailers by this point and realize like they didn't want a branded cart that like lived everywhere. That was Amazon. And everybody was like, how do we fight Amazon? So what we built is we, we white labeled it for all these retailers and we gave them a channel to sell into other channels. Um, still keeping with the mission of democratizing commerce and creating this abstraction layer on top of all these different platforms. So we integrated to Magento, Shopify, IBM, ATG, uh, Hybris, you name it, um, still giving everybody the ability to sell anywhere into any channel. And we were this abstraction layer that let you pay with any payment provider, any credit card, any debit card, anything. And wherever you were, whether in a magazine, app, ad, video, you could buy natively. Okay. So it was a really cool technology, um, and we had some really fun stories along the way. Uh, I'll be sort of brief with them, but um, we were building in North Carolina. Um, we 
went out to Las Vegas to like go to this thing called Magic Marketplace. And we had gone through, it sounds bad, but we had gone through five CTOs at this time. And each one of them like couldn't build what we wanted to build. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had just found Matt, which I'll help, you know, he's a uh, co-founder of Cosmic, co-founder of Lolly. Like I would say um, my like partner in crime with like probably everything I, I have built and will build. It's always good to have a PIC. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and he, do, he does all the hard work. He's like, he's, he's incredible. Uh, brilliant. Um, Did you guys meet at UNC? No, we met on Google Plus. Boss. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> One of the few. <laughs> Maybe the only. The only good thing to happen on Google Plus. One of the few connections on Google yes. Plus. I love it. Yeah, we were in each other's circles. <laughs> you know, I think we were on the technology circle, the North Carolina circle, uh, Java circle, like you name it. Um, we just had a lot of overlaps. I love that. That's a first. That's a first. It's a <laughs> Tales from the Crypt first. And probably Meeting a on last. Google Plus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> first and last. <laughs> Cheers to that. So... Yeah, we, I met Matt, and, and Matt came in as, like, our third engineer at the time, and, and he, he was building, like, a, which is relevant now, um, this, like, privacy application called Frame that did bank-level encrypted photo sharing and video sharing, I believe, too. Interesting. Yeah, so it was, like, Snapchat on steroids, um, and it's kind of cool to think about, like, I, when I met him, I was like, you know, we're going into payments, we're going into commerce, we need privacy, we need security. Um, you know, I, I care deeply about that and, and it was good to, you know, align on just sort of morals and the ethics of privacy and security. So that was like a good alignment. Um, he came in and in two weeks built a prototype for Cosmic. I was out in Las Vegas going booth to booth to booth, selling this dream. We ended up signing up 72, uh, merchants, uh, that were interested in, in using this technology. So, um, fast forward a little bit, built out the technology. Ended up landing um, or getting some investment um, in Omaha, Nebraska, of all places. It was not. It was the Oracle of Omaha. <laughs> <I> was <kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> it was the. It was sort of like so. There's a lot of people that like are Berkshire babies. There they like mm-hmm. their parents bought them like Berkshire Hathaway stock and like they've done really well. And there's whole books about this like these families. It's a Berkshire trust fund mafia going around. It was a Berkshire ma- mafia. It was like <laughs> we like this idea. We want to invest in it. Um, so I met this investor and I was like crashing in my friend's mom's second cousin's house. She Always where you want to be. baked me cookies for my future investors. I brought them to the office and we hit it off and they invested in our company. And we had the only, only issue and no offense to Omaha was we had to build in Omaha for three months. And, and so I think that like, I love Omaha, but that was, that was that was good for me. A long three months. It was a long three months. Uh, got to got to see everything in Omaha. It was it was really interesting. Um, stories for another day, probably. Yeah. So three months after uh, after building, and it was good to be heads down. They were incredible investors, uh, mentors. Um, they had built a company called Hay Needle, um, and we learned a ton while while being there. And great people, nice people, loved it there. Did a ton of like Midwest interviews, and coming from North Carolina. Uh, it was good to sort of compare and contrast, like, what are real people doing? And I think I learned this from my, my family. My, my mom was a child developmental specialist. My dad was a psychotherapist. I was brainwashed as a kid. And, <laughs> and so I think, like, around, like, the dinner table, it was just like, how are you? What, what's, you know, what's, what's going on in your life? Like, how was your day? Mm-hmm. It was just like, every, we talked about everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that encouraged me to, like, 
And this is actually, this in, in, interviews are weird now because it's normally like, I feel like I'm the one asking Switching questions. The table. Yeah. So thank no, you. That's, I'm happy you brought that up because as somebody who was born in Northeast Philadelphia, a very ragtag neighborhood, grew up with a potty mouth and <laughs> fought a lot. And then we moved to Charleston, South Carolina when oh, I was no like way. 10 or 11 and uh, lived there for four years. How were those Johns? Those Johns? The Johns are always good. Okay. Whenever yeah. you're Johning with a John, it's good. Okay. Um, but yeah, we got, so like, we moved from Philly down to South Carolina, and that was a bit of a culture shock. Like, I realized, like, holy shit, people do things differently down here. It was a lot different. You had to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. You had to shake hands and look people firmly in the eye. You weren't allowed to have potty mouth. Hey, y'all love it here. Yeah. And then, uh, and then when we lived there for four years and then moved back to the Philly area, and that was, like, another culture shock. I was, just, like, just getting used to South Carolina. I was like, oh, my God, back in Philly. And then stayed in Philly for, like, five years and then went off to college in Chicago. But through those journeys, like you realize that people around the country, like even in just one country in the United States, think completely differently, like in different areas of the country. And it's mind blowing, especially if you don't get out your geographical bubble uh, and experience it, especially like living in these places for, for an extended period of time. You don't really realize that it is a melting pot. And there's like crazy differences all throughout the country. Yeah, you nailed it. I think that's like the source of all my inspiration for anything I've built is like building it for real people that are yeah. and like real people are everywhere, but it's like what are the common factors that make up those people and they're like the, the insights that they have and the things that what do they feel? And like really honing in on that and what matters is like I mean, I mean, we could get into the election. We could get into a lot of ideas about like where the world is right now. But mm -hmm. understanding people, I think, is so important and is probably the biggest lacking thing in the world. It's it's right? sad. it's really sad. And it's uh, I I think that's one of um, something I think about like just about every day is like, am I building this for people that need it? Yeah. No, it's in something I think about every day. I mean, and I'm not building a product like you, but like writing to an audience. It's like I definitely write to like a northeast bro you know or, or that type of North, northeast freak yeah, yeah yeah northeast freak um but it is something i'm always hyper cognizant of like maybe i'm restrict or constricting my message a little bit by having a certain voice but no these are interesting problems and this is why I like building products and i think what you guys did at lollies made it so simple and so straightforward that anybody regardless of what your preference is around the country gets it so innately like it's a great ux process Thank you. Um, so We're let's trying. jump into Lolly. I think it's a great time to jump into Lolly. And so um, you guys were building Cosmic and mm -hmm. you, you basically found Bitcoin. You said three. Yeah. So I was, I was randomly, I was crashing on couches in, North, in New York, actually. Yeah. Um, I think while I was living in Minneapolis. Um, and I... Um, backing up real quick, I moved from Omaha to Minneapolis because we landed Target. Mm -hmm. We were a weekend. I'll be quick with the story and then get get back into it. No, hey, we got plenty of time here. <laughs> okay, cool. So I was living. I moved to Minneapolis because Target said they were interested in Cosmic, and moved moved up there. I was staying in like a hostel, not like a hostel, was a hostel, and ended up um, negotiating a deal with Target. A week into landing Target, team of three. Uh, pull up Reddit 8 a.m. and we had signed our lives away to like you know for their full API access and biggest credit card breach of all time. Uh. 40 million credit cards breached. Uh, 
I turned to Matt and I was like, did we do that? And he was like, no, I hope not. <laughs> I don't think so. And we got interviewed by Secret Service. It was a really f- it was fucking crazy. Holy shit. Probably the craziest, one of the craziest days. I hope to never live that day again. It's like Wolf of Wall Street when his second day of work is like Black Bunda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it was wild. So uh, it turns out we had nothing to do with it. Thank God. Um, and it ended up being like sort of this blessing in, in disguise. Um, we ended up um, getting to like, like, I think for about nine to 12 months, we were the only company in the space that was like building it the right way and, and building it the secure way. Um, we were a team of three that survived the target breach as sort of our claim to fame in the commerce world. Mm-hmm. And so we got to go to all these retailers and say, hey, we built this the safest. Um, we, you know, we were gonna continue to build it with these sort of uh, standards. And, and so yeah, we, we had like a really fun year. Uh, this brings me into like, I was crashing on couches in New York. Um, I was trying to like, you know, keep this business going, keep this, uh, the dream alive. And I remember like I was on a trip here and randomly was at a bar and through a friend of a friend met, uh, Ryan Shea Mm -hmm. and Ryan Shea, I I'm pretty sure had just learned about Bitcoin at this point or was very new to it because he was like all he had, he had just gotten the bug. Yeah. And you know, like I think any of us here, like heard it from somebody. You get that bug, and you're just you see it. It's like in their eyes. And he was like, we talked about it for like two hours, and it was was, was this pre Namecoin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it must have been six, seven years ago. Um, so yeah, pre Namecoin, and and yeah, he. I mean, he. It was a great conversation, and I was like, everything that I was building at the time, and building towards. I was like, this sounds so similar. It sounds like the democratization of commerce native to a currency. And I was like, that's really fucking cool. And, and so brought it back to my team and I was like, can we do this? Can we build this into Cosmic? And it just never made sense. And like retailers had no idea what I was talking about. There was, it's, it goes <laughs> back to kind of like listening to your customer. It was way too early. Um, and there was no real like financial reason to build it in and it, it just really wouldn't have worked. Um, so I actually didn't even invest in it and I clearly wish I did. Um, but I just kept like looking at it, researching it, um, you know, keeping tabs on it. And I think probably like a year or two later um, is when I first like I bought a Bitcoin. And I think it was when Coinbase came out to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. So Coinbase came out and I was like, I'm gonna buy this. I'm gonna like, you know, have some skin in the game. And, and so I bought it, I think some of my teammates bought it. And we just all like, I think we're personally like very interested in Bitcoin. It was like so fucking cool. And like, can I cuss on here? Is this? Yes, you can cuss okay. as much as okay, you want. Okay, cool. Just make um, sure. So, so yeah, just like got really interested in it. Kept in, you know, uh, following it over the years. Uh, sort of it like was ran in parallel with like sort of our mission with Cosmic. Um, after uh, Cosmic was, uh, Cosmic started to do pretty well. We raised another round of fu- uh, financing. Um, we ended up um, landing some more retailers, uh, landed a, a big um, customer um, called Pop Sugar, uh, came in. Oh, I know Pop Sugar. Yeah, yeah. They're, uh, they're amazing company. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the only profitable uh, media companies right now that's figured out the model, and they're, they're doing pretty well. Yeah, I think the company I used to work for way back in the, or not way back in the day, but 
uh, ages ago. We did uh, CMS building. I think we helped them. Oh, uh, cool. Contract CMS work for their Drupal site. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah Brian and the executive team over there and the, really the whole team is just like amazing. I, I'm like, they've built a real business. Um, they speak to a real person. Um, and yeah, it's just like, it's just like authentic. Like right. it's, it's literally, a, it's Brian and Lisa Sugar like they started it from this place of truth. They just like were building it for themselves and for like Lisa. And yeah, they've just built an incredible business. I learned so much from both of them and I'm like so thankful. Uh, they So I should back up. They ended up acquiring Cosmic uh, to come and power uh, ShopStyle, which was doing over a billion in, in retail revenue oh, nice. at the time. So Cosmic was gonna power this future of native commerce for them. Um, so we, we ended up uh, going with the acquisition um, building it for a year, growing about 10x post-acquisition, um, and yeah, building out the dream. And then a bigger company came along called uh, Ebates, Rakuten, mm -hmm. and they ended up buying us I and had the ShopStyle. Ebates extension at one point. Yeah, yeah. cashback. Yeah. Yeah, uh, big fat check. Did you ever get the big fat check? No, I don't think so. The Midwest loves the big fat check. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and hopefully at some point they'll love the big fat Bitcoin. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the dream at least. <laughs> So, yeah, so I uh, ended up like working at Ebates uh, for about a year. Uh, the CEO that bought us ended up leaving, changed of direction. Um, I ended up pitching them Bitcoin back, and they didn't know what I was talking about, mm -hmm. weren't, weren't really into it. So, um, yeah, ended up parting ways with them and started to like, it took some time off and like started to think about like what I wanted to build and started like, you know, went back to Omaha, went back to Minneapolis, went back to Chicago, like all, uh, North Carolina. Um, and really started to think about like what I wanted to build and, and like explored a lot of ideas, but I kept coming back to this idea of, um, I guess at the time, crypto. I was like, this is so exciting. Mm -hmm. This enables people. It's like gives everybody the ability to be on a similar playing field. It is the democratization of commerce. And so many things had come out since, since learning about Bitcoin. And I remember like meeting up with Arjun uh, Balaji and we were walking around Union Square, no, uh, Washington Square Park. Okay. And I was like, I was on and on about like all the things you could do with smart contracts and Ethereum. And I was on this big Ethereum kick. Matt was like, my, my co-founder of Cosmic was like building in Solidity. And we were playing with like a bunch of different ideas in, in that space. And Arjun was like, when was the last time that you read the Satoshi white paper? And I was like, I don't think I've read it for probably two years. And if I'm being honest, and uh, and so, like, he was like, read it and, like, think about getting back to basics. And what is, like, think about, like, what are you doing that the world needs right now? And it was a really good, like, gut check and realignment. Uh, I went back home, like, read the white paper again and was just like, this is, this thing, Bitcoin, is, has not seen, it's not seen its full potential. It's, it's out there. It exists. It is this truth that I, like, first fell in love with. And yet the biggest problem that I think it faces is the distribution problem. What do you mean by the distribution problem? People don't know about it. People mm -hmm. don't have it. It's like, how do you get it into people's hands? How do you educate people on self-sovereign money, free money, mm -hmm. like the freedom of owning money? Like it's, people don't know about it. And so I like, my <laughs> mom had been asking about me about it. My, my sister was asking me about it. I'm on these text threads from friends from back home in North Carolina and Omaha. People were like, hey, how do I get this, this Bitcoin thing? How do I get crypto? Like, what do I do? And I've never 
been one to give financial advice to anybody and I didn't feel comfortable giving it because it's such a volatile asset. Mm -hmm. Like would I give somebody financial advice for a stock that I wasn't confident about that I had no control of? Probably not. Definitely not. Yeah. So what I sort of, I took a step back and after talking with a lot of people, I was like, what am I good at? What is my team uniquely great at? And what do I care about? And I just kept coming back to this idea of like, we can build Ebates. We can recreate Ebates and do it for Bitcoin. And Ebates is arguably the best way of distributing cash, the best cash back company in the, in the country, and maybe the world. And how do we do that, but instead of giving cash back, give people Bitcoin when they shop online? So I started talking to retailers and I went out and just like a madman, like kind of got these like flashbacks from early days of cosmic of like this tenacity that I had when I first started building and, and just like started reaching out to all my old friends, all my old contacts at all these different retailers. And I was like, what do you know about Bitcoin and what, like, why would it matter to you? How, uh, how did these old contacts react when you first reached out? A lot of them were like, what's Bitcoin? The, the, okay. and, and that sort of was a great, like, like had never heard of it or like, all right, he, I'm ready to learn. Can you explain it to me? Had either never heard of it or like had mixed opinions of what they had heard about it from like the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And, and so a lot of it was like education and realigning what Bitcoin was to them. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was on this call with, um, I like how you said that realigning how it was. Cause yeah. a lot of people get tripped up with the mainstream narratives and it is a realignment, right? totally is it's it's how do you take something that somebody understands and help them understand what you're trying to give them yeah it's, it's like help me help you it's like peeling back the <laughs> onion you have to peel back the onion and then put it back together with like a better onion you know exactly it's, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah we're the onion of bitcoin yeah so it's uh basically like started to hear really listen to them and what they kept saying is like how do you bring me customers? How do you bring me new shoppers? I, he's like, you know, I, I remember I was on this, this great call with um, Hotels.com and this entry level um, um, employee there, he, he kind of like, he just sort of blurted out in the meeting and he was like, so it's like points, but instead of points, there's no barriers and you're turning Bitcoin into points. And I was like, whoa, that is good. That sounds great to me, yeah. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, that's, that's it. I was like, thank you. I am going to use that. And that started, like, that gave me this ammunition to go to all these other retailers and align, like, what, like, points are great for retailers. Mm -hmm. I personally think that they're bad for consumers because it's, there's, like, all these ARBs that they run and there's sort of this, like, um, the retailers are like, you know, gaming the system so that you don't spend them and all that, all that stuff. Yeah. And, and for him to say basically points without borders or rules, it's like it realigned what it's like you are giving people like points. They're earning this Bitcoin. They're excited to earn this Bitcoin and they can take that Bitcoin and use it anywhere in the world. And then I'm a bit ignorant of this part of the industry in particular. Is it also good for the retailers or like we don't have to deal with the point system at all? And exactly. Okay they are not locked in to the other point systems that have been created by the retailers, by the, um, by the airlines, by all these other rewards networks because they're locked into those ecosystems. Uh, this is sort of an abstraction layer of, an e of a loyalty system. It's, it's like 
be loyal to Bitcoin. Like the loyalty layer is on Bitcoin and it's not on like anything else. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. It's like, how do you get people loyal to Bitcoin? And Lolly is the rails to get people loyal to Bitcoin. I love that. And uh, yeah, so the, the probability that your, your miles or points would become worthless over time is probably a lot higher than, I mean, Bitcoin's still a long shot, but hypothetically, if Bitcoin were to become uh, a widely used digital currency, uh, it probably would sustain value more than those points. Am I correct in assuming that? Points go down as soon as you get them. It's deflationary. <laughs> it's like centralized. Mm -hmm. Points are controlled by, they can do, they can make those points whatever they're worth, or whatever they think they're worth. And it's just an ARB. Like it's, yeah. I think a lot of people don't understand. I mean, it's, it's why like things like, um, the points guy exists. He's like trying to help you mm -hmm. with the R. Utilize them right away. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all these games online. It's like, I mean, points are a game. It's this funny thing that people try to like game, but at the end of the day, you're getting gamed. Oh, it goes beyond online, online where people are getting people to set up bank accounts in foreign countries and are being, uh, internationally and stuff like that. There's a, there's a whole racket to the, to the point system. Totally. Yeah. And and I really shouldn't hate on points too much because like we built our model to actually work on top of points. So mm -hmm. like you can get your points and you can get your Bitcoin is, yeah. is sort of something I should make very clear. Um, I think that the points exist and I think points are good for certain part merchants. Um, but for the end consumer, like I, I think Bitcoin is better than points. It's gonna, it is, it has value. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if given the choice, I would hope people would choose the, uh, the sounder store value over time but we'll see we'll see having the option that's what i wrote about in the uh i didn't write about this specifically but i mentioned it today in the newsletter is that bitcoin presents an optionality you know, at least 10 that had not existed 10 dec or excuse me one decade before today um so that optionality is there and now you can extrapolate that to points and and retail shopping too it's like hey do i want the points or i want bitcoin now i have the option um, which I think is a great segue into like, how does this all work? Like, what are the mechanics behind it? Like, how are you guys providing the service? How, how are you basically valuing how much Bitcoin people get per transaction or per purchase? Excuse me. Um, very fascinating to hear more about that. Yeah. So, so, um, we go to the retailer and we say, we are going to bring you a unique customer. We're going to bring you someone that might not have shopped at your site and they're, they, and when we bring them that that shopper, um, we want to reward that shopper for being loyal to Bitcoin, for being loyal to Lolly. The retailer likes that because they're getting a new shopper that might not have shopped at, at their site. And we like that because we're getting to reward our, our users time and time again, every time that they shop across all these different verticals. Um, and then clearly the shopper likes that because they're getting something, they're being rewarded with something and they have this positive connotation with both the reward, Bitcoin, and the retailer. So it's sort of like, I mean, I, it's, I'm not trying to like sugarcoat it, but like literally everybody wins in our model, which is part of the beauty of like the cashback model that I give to credit to Ebates. They've been building a company for 20 years and they nailed it. Like, yeah. and it's, it's like, good. And that's like another theme of this podcast, like Bitcoin's incentives sort of like 
compound like in every layer and like just like the incentives of the setup like work for everybody it seems that's what i'm trying to figure out like how how would it not like what's the biggest knock on lolly i guess like yeah so i first of all i love that you brought up like incentives at every layer yeah um and let's like i would love to talk about that for a second because yeah, jump into it like when i first learned about bitcoin like i think that the it was before coinbase so it was like the only way that i knew to get into it was mine it and I was like, I, I don't know about buying a miner. Like, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm running a company. Like, I, I, got, I got a lot going on. I'm like not, I just was, I didn't have the, the bandwidth. And I would say, like, I was the target market to mine. Like, I, I, I love building computers. I love building software. Like, um, and I wasn't going to do it. And, and so mining is, like, at its core is, like, there's a set po- amount of the population that is going to do it. And like when we, when we go back to like what we were saying earlier, like thank you to all the miners out there for building the infrastructure, for like letting us build on top of what you're building. And, and like it has to exist. But I'm not going to do it. My mom's not going to do it. My, you know, my friend's grandma in Omaha is not going to do it. Like, yeah. I, th- I, I, I wanted to interrupt because I thought of a great uh, analogy for this over the weekend. As you may know, if you read the band, I'm a huge college lacrosse fan. And uh, basically, uh, lacrosse goalies are the miners of the lacrosse world. You have to be a little crazy. You have to be a little out there. You have to be a little risky, risk-taking to be a lacrosse goalie. And uh, as a lacrosse player, anybody who's ever played lacrosse knows that you thank your goalies because they're taking huge risk, getting a a p- rubber ball pelted at them at like 115 miles an hour. Goalies are the miners of the lacrosse world, and the miners, they, yeah, that's what they're just like t- they're just like eating it on the chin, but they're like crazy nuts. They're like, I want to do this. I need that clean Bitcoin. <laughs> so I have I, I have a I was similar analogy, and I like that we're going with analogies. <laughs> so uh, I played rugby in college, mm-hmm. and there's a position called the hooker, and it's a it's a real position. It's not a made up made up name, and literally their job is they're they're in the middle of the scrum. And they've got like 800 to 1,000 pounds of pressure going from each side. And they're like in the dead center. And typically it's like a smaller guy. And their job is to hook. Like they hook the ball when the ball is fed in. Mm-hmm. They're just like, like these dudes break their necks. They like get, you know, they, they, it's just a very injury prone position. But their job is to actually mine the ball so that your team wins possession. And, and so I would, I would say like, Similar analogy, the hooker is the miner, feeds it out, and then the, the like, I was a back, I was too, I was like, I actually, uh, I have a fond memory of, like, being a freshman, like, coming from wrestling to rugby, and here, and, like, being, like, there was an open position at at a hooker, because no one wanted to be the hooker, Mm -hmm. and it's actually oddly similar when I actually think about it, it's the first time thinking about it, Um, I, like, raised my hand, because I, like, I'm, you know, opportunist, I, like, am very excited if, like, I could be a starter for a position, I remember raising my hand, because there was an open um, position, and one of the seniors grabbed me, and was like, you don't want to be a hooker, (laughs) (laughs) so, probably similarly to, like, people being like, yeah, you don't want to mine, like, it's, you're, like, just buy. Yeah, you're better off just buying. Yeah. Back here on another lane. So I, like, took the fullback position. I got to, like, get all the glamour, be the winger, get the, get the score, <laughs> the t- tries, and, like, you know, wave to my girlfriend in the, on the sideline. So, yeah, it's kind of si- similar, but, um, yeah, I like, I like analogies. Yeah. Yeah. No, but let's get back to the specifics of, like, cool. the incentives on these layers. Like, it seems like for everybody involved, at least in the lolly, uh, closed circuit, I guess, if you will, whatever you want to refer to it as, uh, seems incentivized to participate in, in this system. 
Um, and, and, and I guess let's just like keep building on like the incentives that compound on these other layers. Like how did you notice this? And I think you, you came to the conclusion uh, pretty quickly that, that this existed and, and, and how hard is it to, to make these retailers see, see, see this incentive and, and understand it? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question. Um, so I think there's like the layers on the consumer side are mining, very few people are gonna do. Investing, you know, buying Bitcoin, um, very few people are gonna do as well. Like if you look at how many users that are on even Robinhood or, or uh, E-Trade or any, anything, you know, buying and selling stocks, it's a very small population. Mm -hmm. And I just looked at that and I was like, is that really, like that's not going to solve the problems of Bitcoin. Like that'll get it to, you know, a few million people. Like that's cool. Like needs to exist. It's the next phase mm -hmm. of the retail cycle, but it's not the end game. You're not going to have seven and a half billion people investing. Just like not the real world. Yeah. So I thought a lot like deeply about just even like regardless of my experience, I was like sort of coming off an exit, I, two exits. I was like excited about building something new and I was like, what am I going to build? Like, and, and, I, and I just kept coming back to this idea. I was like shopping. Like everybody fucking shops. Everybody has to buy things. Like you, and it's not even about things. It's about experiences. It's about like buying things for your office, like buying office supplies, buying bourbon, buying things that you want and like, you know, call it capitalism, consumerism, whatever, but it's utilities. Like you need to fly to go visit your family. You need to go fly for work. Like mm -hmm. you need to stay in a hotel. Like you should be able to buy something and get a reward for it. Like that's the state of the world right now. Like how do you get rewarded? Like as a, as a consumer, we can shop anywhere. We have the freedom of choice. And so how do you give somebody the ability to like get into Bitcoin and get a reward for shopping at this retailer and started to go to, like I said, to these retailers and, and figure out like what they really cared about is shoppers, driving shoppers. And similar to the cosmic problem, um, how do they compete with Amazon? Mm -hmm. So everybody was like, how do I draw more customers away from Amazon? And, and so that's what we, we we're doing. Like we're letting you have choice and we're saying you can shop at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of retailers for a ton of different, like just about every category and buy something and earn Bitcoin when you shop and you don't need to invest. You don't need to mine. You don't need to do that to play a part in this, in this world that like we're in and that's really exciting. So that's what we're building. That sounds dope. And thank you. So how do like the mechanics of getting the Bitcoin to the user work? Do you guys have like a pool of funds that you're siphoning off? Are the retailers giving you a deal and you're using the cut of that deal to buy market buy and then get the reward? Um, how do like the mechanics of the distributing of the Bitcoin work? Yeah. So um, if you're allowed to disclose, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, transparency. So um, consumer buys something from the retailer uh, retailer says, Lolly bought, you know, Lolly drove the sale. Um, they pay us in fiat. Uh, we buy Bitcoin and we send it to their Lolly wallet. Mm -hmm. uh, they get Bitcoin, um, gets locked in. Um, they own the Bitcoin. You know, I am a big believer, like, not your key is not your coin. Uh, so when you hit a certain threshold, $15 right now, um, 
you get to exchange that, send that to your own addresses if you want to, um, or you can cash it out for USD uh, if you want to do that as well. Boss. Mm -hmm. So easy on-ramp, and in my opinion, super easy off-ramp. Um, yes, you guys allow people to withdraw, correct? Correct. Uh, if you go to lolly.com backslash or forward slash account, mm -hmm. um, you can withdraw and you can move it to any address, uh, move it to your U.S. dollar bank account through ACH. Um, we do fees at cost for U.S. dollars. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the cost of doing any sort of transaction on Bitcoin, we don't, we don't take any off that. Yeah, I guess I'm super curious right now to, like... How do you guys limit your costs and your end, like to buying stuff? Like, do you have like crazy or like an OTC relationship set up where it's like, hey, we're going to drive this much volume, obviously, um, and you just get a deal on that end and then make it as simple as possible? Because what I'm actually getting to here is like, all I can think of is like you implementing Lightning and making this like cheap as fuck for you. Yeah. I mean, that's the dream. Like, yeah. Yeah. So right now, yeah, we're using an amazing OTC that we mm -hmm. get really great rates. Um, we're not doing any dark pooling. We don't have any plans of doing dark pooling uh, like Robinhood and some others. Uh, we give what we get to the consumer. Um, we take a percent from the retailer. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's an important distinction. We're, we're out here negotiating all these rates with the retailer. We're trying, um, I mean, part of it is like our deep relationships that we have with these retailers over the last seven years from our last company. Um, we have a competitive advantage there. Like I invite competitors, like, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm a competitive person and I like, I want to win as a business. Um, and so I think I'm able to get competitive rates. But part of that is like, I'm actually competing more so with the Ebates of the world to get those competitive rates than anyone out there. So I'm going out there and pulling up my Rolodex, like trying to get these retailers on board, trying to get the best rates for our consumers, our shoppers. Um, and getting them these rates, transferring it to Bitcoin, and passing as much on to people as possible. Uh, clearly, we need to make this business work so that we stay alive, um, so we take a small percent from the retailer side because we're driving these consumers Obviously. to their site. Obviously, and that's what like, fascinates me. It seems like a sick setup, and it can only be sort of refined and, and streamlined going forward, especially if things like lightning yeah, blow so up. I met up with Elizabeth um, a couple days ago, actually, and we've been, I think, long-term like internet friends for a while. Um, but it was it was great to meet in person and hear her vision, uh, very similar mission for the future. Mm -hmm. And like I, you know, I I think I told told you earlier, like I got on this big Ethereum kick because I just sort of thought that Bitcoin wasn't gonna be able to scale, and projects like Lightning make me really really excited for the future of commerce, the future mm -hmm. of Bitcoin. And I think one of the most exciting things, like I sort of envision this sort of like product UI um, that I'll open source on your pod, on your podcast, um, which I think is like really cool. It's like transfer it faster. You know, you have the lightning, literally like, I'm picturing like the lightning uh, icon, mm -hmm. transfer it fast, Bitcoin, and then transfer it slow. You've got like the, you know, the tortoise and, and you've got like US dollars that, you know, seven days later, you can get your cash, way to go, cool. Right, I mean, <laughs> seeing what Jewel and Casa have done with their extensions, it seems like it should be pretty simple to implement what they have. I mean, maybe you can 
be compatible with the Casa node or something like that and just hook up immediate, like directly there in your extension. I think that's what Casa is actually working on. I don't know. So we're running our own nodes. Uh, I yeah. think Casa is awesome. Like, yeah. I, I mean, it's, I think like second time, first time around, like starting Cosmic, I, I kind of looked at the world with this. Yeah, and I'm not even talking about Casa in particular. I'm just thinking, because mm-hmm. I'm thinking of my node because I have a Casa node, but it, it make this extension compatible with like Pierre's node launcher or something. Oh, like yeah. That, or anything like any node, just make it compatible and just hook up. Um, totally. Obviously, you guys are thinking about this. I'm just thinking aloud here. Yeah, so I, I love those projects. I think like I used to look at the world as like a zero-sum game, and mm-hmm. I think that was like a flaw, flaw, like flawed logic. Um, and I, we're all in this together. And I think that there, it's like, how do we compound upon each other's infrastructure? And how do we build, you know, something for everybody? And the pie is pretty fucking big. It's like, <laughs> you know, we can all enjoy, um, you know, the, the end game. Um, I think what it, we're in such early days that um, I'm really excited to, like, collaborate with a lot of these projects, Jewel, Casa, um, Elizabeth, uh, you know, with, uh, Lightning. Um, and the way that I see this actually playing out is, um, you know, we have these partnerships with, right now, over 500 of the top merchants in the, in the country, arguably in the world. And what I want, what I think our contribution is like, how do you get them to accept Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. How, like, we've already won, I think, in getting them to reward with Bitcoin. And earning, you have to give people Bitcoin to get someone excited about it. Mm-hmm. We have thousands of users right now that are excited about Bitcoin. They, they're earning it. They're choosing it over cash. There's plenty of cash back programs, but they're choosing Bitcoin back over cash back. So we have these users. We have, I think, all the users that want to earn Bitcoin instead of like buy it. The next phase is like, okay, now that, they've, now that they have it, how do you get them to spend it? How do you get them to use it across all these retailers. So my next challenge over the next five years is going to all these retailers and saying, let me help you spin up a lightning node. Let me give you this like ability to do no cost transactions, next to no cost transactions, lightning fast transactions, and distribute this to thousands of retailers that want no fees, that want trust across the network, like, how do I give this? And, and that's the next phase of, of Lolly. That's incredible. And this is actually very much in line with a conversation I was having earlier this week with another Bitcoin. And it is like, we need to create the closed loop system that's always been envisioned. Like, like when you, the consumer has the optionality to just keep their Bitcoin in the Lolly extension and spend it at a retailer, that's going to be incredible. But again, specifically with Lightning, Obviously, it's not a foregone conclusion. It's still reckless to experiment with it, but I, I do believe that the vision is there and there are some predictable paths through which this technology can go. And after a conversation I had earlier this week with a Bitcoiner here in New York, like, it's going to get to the point where you go to these retailers, you're going to be like, it's irresponsible for you not to use this. Like, the fees are so burdensome for you in the the incumbent financial system that literally as a CEO, as an owner of this business, it is irresponsible for you not to use this technology because it is so cost savings. If you can figure out a way to uh, basically hedge the volatility. You nailed it. It's like goes back to what do people want? What do companies want? Mm -hmm. Like 
how do you make Bitcoin attractive to retailers? Like, we, I think we figured out, like, how do you make it attractive to consumers? You literally make it free. Like, great, we've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's out there. Anyone can earn Bitcoin for free using Lolly. Like, done. The next phase is going to retailers and saying, what are your biggest problems? Like, I know your biggest problems, but what are your biggest problems? It's like chargebacks. Mm-hmm. The, like, you pay, like, I, international commerce. I, so I, I come from the payments world, and I am always surprised with how few Bitcoin, Bitcoiners um, come from the payments world. Because, like, the payments world is riddled with problems. It is like, I mean, just as a... 22-year-old, like, coming into the, the, the payment space. I'm like, this is a fucking mess. Right. Like, what? <laughs> you you want to pay what fees on for what service to every single fucking time? Like, it made no sense to me. And it was just a tax of doing business. Every time you pay, you pay 1.5% to the banks, the acquiring merchant, the credit card companies, over and over and over again. And it's just this assumed tax and I'm like, I'm a big believer, like if something's broken, there should be a fix, but at the same time, like there are institutions in place that do not want that, like they, they like their tax. They're sitting back there, they're having fun, mm-hmm. they're not building anything, they're just t- collecting their tax. What value are they adding? And Bitcoin comes along and, and you know, goes back to democratization of commerce, but it goes back to giving everybody the ability to buy and sell anywhere freely and to own that transaction, to own that money and to own the transfer of that money. And when, when I learned about Bitcoin, I'm like heads deep or like in, into, this, into this like space. And I'm like, why are we paying all these taxes for like, you know, um, on for these payment companies that aren't doing really anything that Bitcoin does like where everybody is verifying. Right. Um, and so I got really excited about that, that idea, sort of tucked it in the back of my head and came back to it when I was building Lolly. And I think one of like, wh- wh- where I sort of f- view the future of payments and the future of credit and the future of cross-border and the future of like connection. Like Bitcoin is this connective tissue between 7.5 billion people. Mm-hmm. Everybody can own it. Everybody can transfer it to each other. Like you can't do that for other currencies. It's literally impossible. Literally you, impossible. How do you do that? So at first, like the first phase is like, let's get it into the hands of everybody. Let's get like distribute it. Let's let everybody earn it. The next phase is like, let's get everybody excited about spending it. But why would they spend it? And my, what I think is the future of spending is actually shared incentives. The retailer has the incentive to accept it because they don't have to pay the, the tax. They don't have to pay the 1.5%, but it's not even the 1.5% because that's actually kind of small in relative to chargebacks. Chargebacks with international commerce are fucking massive. The company I work for, uh, in our, like we, I work for an online uh, ad platform that is experimenting with Bitcoin and for our crypto publishers, we only accept Bitcoin. Like because of chargebacks in particular, and like it's immutable. It's beautiful. It was a pro- like the scammer problem, the ICO problem went beyond like just launching ICOs. These people were buying ads with credit cards and uh, charging it back, like basically running. Like after they would they would charge the credit card, say it was fraudulent, get the money back, and we were like, all right, 
we're just going to accept Bitcoin for this. Look at the best payment companies in the world right now. They're, they're tacking on fraud detection. They're, it's Bolt, it's Stripe, it's Adyen. All these companies have built probably collectively 40, 50, maybe more billion dollars of market value in the world by building fraud detection services. Like Bitcoin is fraud detection native in a currency. Mm -hmm. It's immutable. Why would you pay with Bitcoin if you're like, not going to get it back? Yeah. So if you can decrease, if you have this margin of 10%, 15% cross-border commerce, like that, that, that world gets really exciting and it adds an incentive for the retailer to accept Bitcoin. Because that's like a 10% margin that a lot of people don't think about that the, that the retailer is passing off to the consumer. And, and a big thing to me is like, retailers are not largely not transparent. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's baked into the marketing expense. You don't know what's baked into the payment expense. You don't know any of this. Thus, the consumer just pays. They're happy to pay with their credit card. Like, yay, Visa, like paid with my credit card. Why are you getting those points? Like, why are you getting these like nice rewards? It's because like you're paying with something and it's like you're responsible for something. You're on the hook for something. But the beautiful part of Bitcoin that I think aligns with every party and everybody wins is giving everybody the ability to win. And the retailer wins because they decrease the chargebacks. The consumer is, has to be trusted. Otherwise, like, they lose their Bitcoin. Way to go. Mm -hmm. like, and the retailer is you know, happy to accept it. And so you're decreasing the chargebacks to zero, near 0% zero um, because you can't get it back. So everybody wins. And I look at Lolly owning those rails and Bitcoin being the rails that we transfer payments in the future. <sighs> Thank you for building it. I mean, maybe that's what people need to realize that this is important. It's just to see it exist in front of them. Like, oh my God, this exists and I can avoid chargebacks by just literally only accepting Bitcoin. Like, and... It's going to take time. It has taken time. So that's like one thing I wrote down here in the notes is like you said, like six, seven years ago, it was too early. Uh, is it still too early, do you think? That's a great question. I think that's, you know, I, I think it's the right time. Mm -hmm. um, I think with Cosmic, we learned a lot. Um, we were too early and we hit it at the right time to get acquired and to build something of value for the world. Um, but you know, I, I want to build something massive. Like I want to build something that literally affects 7.5 billion people. And hopefully by the time it exists, like I'm, you know, I'm playing the long game. I, hopefully it's like 8 billion. Hopefully it's 9 billion. <laughs> I, I, I want to build something that like changes the world. And I, I think cosmic taught me in building cosmic and my team and, and everyone taught me that to, to see the long game to see the big picture and with lolly it's like it's not just rewards it's it's bigger than that it's it's a rails to get bitcoin to millions ideally billions of people um and it's starting with rewards so that's 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 the goal and i think that we're playing a long game we have amazing investors uh, amazing users that are investing in our, you know their time in us to share this and to like believe in this um, and the team believes in it. Like it's, it's the same team that was building cosmic. It's, it's of the seven people we have on board right now. It's six of them. We were, 
you know, we've been in the trenches building Cosmic. We went through some really shitty times and we, you know, went through some great times and we're doing it again and like we're doing it same dream, same team. Like it's, it's, we're out here doing it again. It's been fun. No, I love it. And it's actually reminds me a lot of like what I was wrote about today, which is Queen Center's paper on cash and privacy. And they touch on like user data a lot. And it seems like you guys have like the opportunity to flip the relationship of retailer and user and especially around like the collection of data and the distribution of data and it seems like you're very privacy and security uh first principle with a you have a very private uh, privacy and security first principles mindset how how much does this play into the product and yeah so it starts with matt um i mean mm -hmm. matt is my inspiration for privacy he's our north star mm -hmm. um i think he's taught me a lot over the years about the value of privacy um he um, I'll say this nicely is like a privacy nut. Like he, like, <laughs> Matt, he called you a nut. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> privacy freak. There we go. A freak. Freak's yeah. more apt for on, this. Yes. On, on brand. <laughs> so shout out Matt. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's the best. Like he, he's always looking out for our users. I, he, he wouldn't, I mean, I, I, geez, if I, he won't even let me code anymore. He won't let me submit any, any code. So I have no say of, of it other than like, you know, he, he's our North star. Mm -hmm. Um, he cares about our users. He, um, it, with every, everything that we launch, we have privacy in mind. Um, we have to, given the sake of rewards, we have to track the purchase on every retailer's site. Mm -hmm. We do not want to track anything ideally. And I think that, um, you'll see the product evolve over time. Uh, where we want to give people the ability to be anonymous. We want to give people full privacy. That's the, that's the end game. At, at this point, in order to give rewards, I have to know that user X shopped at retailer Y mm -hmm. and bought something. That's all we collect. That's all we want to collect. And when we collect that, we pass that off to the retailer. The retailer pays us. We give the reward to the consumer. You can transfer it to whatever address you want. You can do whatever you want with it. It's your Bitcoin. That's, that's our privacy stance. Yeah. No, and it seems like a huge uphill battle. And I, I, I mean, I can't imagine a way in which e-com is like, I can't imagine a way in which to avoid giving up at least some information in the way that e-commerce is structured in its current form and i would argue it needs like bitcoin like capabilities to get it to a point where it's less intrusive and so i guess this is what i'm trying to get like is the draw of user data too big to get away from do you think what does the model look like after the collection of user data if it does exist have you thought about this and yeah um yeah so one thing that like I didn't think I did with Cosmic that I think I've done with Lolly is Cosmic like I sort of saw the big picture and I saw the like what we had to build. In between was just this like abyss. Um, I was like I want to build a shopping cart that everybody can buy and sell from and give everyone the ability to buy and sell anywhere. And then I was like okay it looks like a cart. It looks like a, um, a white labeled solution. Like it looks like whatever it was. Um, with one thing I like I learned going back to you know something I mentioned earlier, just like seeing the big picture. With Lolly, like you have to understand what you're building today and who you're serving today and how like once you control that experience, how do you build it for a better future? So and then like what does it become? 
Um, and so, like, I, I think that you have to play ball with the people who run the court. Like, you have to know what these retailers want, and you have to give them that. Mm-hmm. And once you control the narrative and you can let people, like, own their data, own their privacy, you just, like, I've seen all these projects. A lot of them are built on Ethereum. They're doing it from day one, and they're missing the point. Like, you can't do that from day one and have any transformative impact. Like, people want to fucking shop at Walmart. People want to shop at Jet. Like, people want to shop at Overstock. They want to travel with Priceline. Like, they want to shop at the places they want to shop. And you're not going to convince these retailers you're going to bring them consumers if you're trying to change their business model. Yeah, it's not even changing their business model. It's just change again like going back to ux and psychology like arguably the way it's set up now is the easiest way right like hey give you my address you know where i am like you're gonna feed me good ads in the future i'm drunk rambling a little bit now this whiskey's gotten to me Uh, by the way we're drinking iron smoke straight bourbon whiskey thank you for bringing it of course of course um no but what i'm trying to get is like how do you yeah how do you confront these problems because i th- i think the problem is uh what's the word i'm looking for convenience like convenience is the problem in today's sort of model of ecom and stuff like that and how do we make it more convenient and then this harpens back to the optionality that bitcoin presents where i would argue it makes it more convenient if you can just point uh a scanner at a qr code from a node that nobody knows who you are. It's completely sovereign. It's completely your node, and you, nobody knows how you got that Bitcoin. Point out a QR code, expend it for money, maybe send it to a PO box or something. I don't know. If that's the next iteration of how you disguise like where you live when you're buying stuff or something like that. But um, basically, overcoming the convenience of today's ecom experience is that possible? Bitcoin, do you think? I think it is. I think. Yeah. Um, people are loyal to the to the to other people that serve them, mm-hmm. and you could make a strong argument that like retailers are becoming people. They have to. They you ha- see it in the Twitter personalities, right? Exactly. Oh the, my god, the brands are becoming like, <laughs> right. Oh my god, sad Sunny D and like yeah. you know comforting uh, what is it Moon Pie. Even though this is an official, <laughs> this isn't an official Arby's account, but Nihilist Arby's <laughs> has done more great marketing for Arby's. Yeah. Uh, just for like, I don't know. It's my favorite account, but like, so I would great. actually eat Arby's after reading Nihilist <laughs> Arby's tweets. Like, even though it's not an official account, but like the personalization of brands, the personification, if you will. Yeah. Um, it is happening and it's becoming more real. I come from Philadelphia. I would argue the Sixers had the best sports Twitter brand in any, any franchise in any sport. Trust the process. Trust the process. They've been I, on I, it for years. I was in literally, a, I was uh, this morning, I was in a yoga class and the teacher goes, trust the process. <laughs> and I was like, is she a Sixers fan or is like, this just the universal truth they right now? They it into real- reality then. <laughs> it's like, it all comes back. It's like, yeah, this world's pretty interesting right now. Mm-hmm. Like, if, okay. It kind of comes back to original marketplaces. Mm-hmm. Like, people selling to people in the same space. It's like, they want this good. It's, a, it's, it's something they need. And 
at the end of the day, like the more personal brands are, the more those brands people serve us, like that's where we want to shop. And so if the brands are saying, like look at Everlane. Everlane is a great example. Love Everlane. Great product. Huge fan of Everlane. Hey, shout out Robin Betchel. She's an Everlane investor, investor, reads the bent, listens to the podcast. Shout out to you, Robin. Didn't even know we had some Everlane fans my last, here. Uh, Love my, that. my last three duffel bags for weekend trips when I bring a carry-on are Everlane bags. I'm wearing an Everlane shirt right now. Boss. Oh, no, just kidding. I'm not. I thought we're I was. We're going to pretend you were. <laughs> I was. Oh, yeah. Cut it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love Everlane. The transparency that they're bringing to being like a brand mm-hmm. I think is amazing. Um, I think brands need to go that route, and they are going that route. And as soon as they start going that route with payments and they, so, they show you like the tax that they're paying to the credit card companies, to the banks, like right now they're just showing you the tax that they're paying on the marketing expenses. And mm-hmm. they're saying, we're not willing to pay the Facebook tax. We're not willing to pay these, like, you know, the ad expenses of like reaching you. We're just going to be, make the best fucking product and we're going to be a great brand, transparent brand. Like that's the shift that's happening right now in commerce. And the next phase of that, I think, will come into the into the payments world. And they'll say, what like how are we accepting payments? Why is it important? And I, I think that we're at the leading, you know, we work with Everlane, we work with the most transparent brands in in the world. And the consumer has to trust these brands in the future. Like they're tired of like, you know, having their data like leak. They're tired of this. They need this transparency. But the brands need to also protect their consumers. And, and so I think that there will be sort of like a, if not already, a day of reckoning when like these, these people, um, when these brands realize they need to protect the consumer. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes in the form of Bitcoin. It comes in the form of letting people check out privately. It, it comes in the form of like letting people like own their data. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to, um, you know, be cocky but I think it you know what we're I I think we're taking the Apple approach we're not probably going to be first but we're going to be the best and we're going to be the safest and we're going to be the most private and if we always sort of hold that as like a north star and we always work with the best brands and we care about people's privacy like I'm okay with like not hacking on lightning right now not hacking on lightning professionally right now like because I want to make sure that it is the best, and I have high confidence that it is the best. But I, I need to see it in the in like action, mm-hmm. and and then I'll I'll take it to our brands. I, I when I take it to our brands, I want to know it's the fastest, safest way. And we have a high, you know, like we're the ones that we're talking to, like literally brands that are doing seventy-two billion in revenue. Like, Boss. sorry, bigger than that, hundreds of billions of revenue. Boss. Like, if if I go to if I go to Walmart, if and I say like. I need you to accept Bitcoin. Like that's a that's that's a big ask. Right. Like imagine if Walmart accepted Bitcoin. Like what would that do? What would that do? <sighs> Blow people's minds. Pomp would tweet about it. It would this <laughs> virus would definitely be spreading. <laughs> we, <laughs> I, I, Love you, Pomp. <laughs> we just landed uh one eight hundred flowers and I, I have this tweet in drafts. It's like the iris is spreading. And it's uh, a <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's uh yeah, shout out shout out to Pomp over there. Yeah. No, um no, but I I love I love that you're a little cocky. We're we're big fans of finding bravery uh in your bravado here at Tales from the Crypt and I think it's important. And like you said, it's going to get to a point 
I, I like that you are not apprehensive, but uh, just cautiously op- optimistic uh, about lightning in particular. But I do, like, again, like I said earlier, like, the vision is there. Like, you can see it. Like, obviously, we are probably more uh, technically savvy enough to interact with this technology at this point, this stage of its development. But even though it's a little clunky here and there, it's definitely not the most seamless UX right now. The vision is there. It's like, once you, like, use a dual extension to play somebody in chess around the world and wager 500 Satoshis, which is less than a fucking penny. Like, that's when it's like, holy shit. Like, this stuff works. I just won 500 Satoshis. I won a half a penny. It's not like I'm not psyched that I won a half a penny. I'm psyched that I could win half a penny. Like, it is there. And, again, slowly but surely over time, I think it will be bought out. And I love that you guys have this long-term vision of just waiting for it and it seems like you have a pretty baller uh, retail network that maybe you can flip a switch at a certain point in time it's my contribution <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah i feel like everyone's done so much work and and to bring something to space it's like it's it's my team and i like we this is what we're good at and this is what we want to bring to the space and yeah it's like it's a team effort it's like everybody on the lolly team believes in this thing and like let's let's bring it to the world fucking love it man we're Thank not you. done yet let's get cosmic and that no pun intended to your previous company but getting cosmic in the tales from the crypt sense like like how do you see bitcoin affecting the world like you're an econ major did you understand bitcoin more innately because you understood economics do you think or was it um payments in particular and how do you see it let's get fully fucking cosmic how do you see it changing the world um universe yeah yeah um, so yeah, going back to, um, economics, I kind of, I, truthfully, I never, I didn't get into business school. I, I like applied undergrad, Chapel Hill had a great business school. Um, I just gave a talk there and, and they were like, why did you study econ not, and not like business? And I was like, I didn't get into your school. And I, I'm like, that's cool. Whatever. Like, um, you know, a little chip on my shoulder, but I, I took some finance classes, I took some like uh, econ classes, and even though the, like, the, the business school was like the sort of... Um, pinnacle? Pinnacle, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know, I just like loved econ. I was like, it, it, it went back to psychology to me. Like econ explained why people make the decisions that they do. I would argue economics is strictly psychology at the end of the day. It's, it's the best. People's decisions when faced with scarce assets is if you're going to describe economics at its purest form, that's how I would describe it. It's more psychology than anything. That's why I, I fucking love that. hate modern day economics models and stuff like that. It's, you can't predict economics. Yes. Um, I, I, so I will say behavioral economics I, I'm, I'm mostly partial to. Mm-hmm. And like I, I think Chapel Hill was great for a lot of reasons, but um, I had very conservative traditional professors that were teaching Austrian. um, Really? Lucky you. Yeah. Austrian economics, um, schooled in uh, Keynesian economics and saw like some really old school things that I actually thought were pretty archaic at the time um, and frustrated me. I was like, I'm learning things that explain 50% of the problem, 50% of the solution. What do you mean by this? 
What's that? What do you mean by this? I, I mean like you're learning these models, right? Like it's a bunch of models that are like, this is how we're going to predict the future. But only 50% of the future, 60% accuracy, 50% accuracy. Confidence levels. Confidence levels are a huge thing, right? Confidence levels, sure. Yes. Yeah, it's like give or take 50%, sure, yeah. but mostly give. Like how, how do you take, um, how do you increase that like degree of accuracy? And I'm like coming from like a family that is like a big believer in mental health and psychology and like understanding people and why we make the decisions that we do as human beings, um, merging these two ideas between like psychology and economics, um, I mean, I, I like I went to the internet and I was like, who is talking about psychology and economics? Because I am so frustrated in, in these in these classes, and the questions that I was asking weren't getting answered. I could go even deeper and say like, I grew up going to Catholic school, and the questions that I was asking in Catholic school were not getting answered. And what questions are they? I'm a Catholic school boy myself. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> um, what was your Catholic school? Well. I have, so, uh, kindergarten through second grade, I went to a Catholic school in Northeast Philly. Then we went to a Quaker school for a year. Nice. Then we moved to South Carolina. I went to public school to high school. And then I went to an all, uh, all boys, uh, Jesuit high school for high school. You saw it all. That's awesome. Yeah. What was that like? I liked it. I loved it. Uh, kind of get a little vulgar here, freaks, but... <laughs> Go, like, I really appreciated going to an all-guys school because when I started hitting puberty in, like, 7th and 8th grade, so goddamn horny in class. It was just so much better being at an all-guys school. You don't have to worry about any of that shit. And Jesuits get a lot of flack, but I do think they're great educators. They, uh, the whole mission of the high school I went to is creating men for and with others. And they really push us to be intellectually curious and to question authority. Um, and I think that's why I'm here where, where I am today. Uh, shout out to St. Joe's Prep in Philly. Best high school there ever was. <laughs> That's a good shout out. Um, do you think you have some listeners from, from high school out there somewhere? Maybe. I don't know. I hope so. If you're listening out there, go prep. <laughs> <laughs> prep lax? Prep lax, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but that was, yeah, my Catholics. Like, I, I, and I have a love-hate relationship, obviously, as Catholics. Uh, the diddling boys scandal is is high on everybody's mind, and uh, I'm somebody who uh, does not agree with the the church per se, but I do agree agree with the message of Catholicism at the end of the day. I, I, Jesus was pretty chill. <laughs> <laughs> That's the quote of the podcast right there. I think Jesus is pretty chill. I agree. I think Jesus was pretty pretty chill. Yeah. yeah. I mean, good guy. Like, yeah. All around. Good message. Yeah. He meant well. Yeah. Jesus meant well. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, like I, born and raised Catholic, um, dad's Jewish, like grew up multicultural family. Mom's Hispanic, dad's um, Eastern European Jew from Long Island. ¿Te hablas español? Uh, a poquito. Poquito, muy poquito. Sí, poquito, sí. Sí, sí. Um, muy mal. Uh, Muy poquito también. See, I even <laughs> fucked that up. See, yeah. <laughs> my bad, my bad. We'll do, the, we'll do the Spanish segment next time. Yeah, for the 
international audience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I grew up in a like multicultural family. Like um, mom was devout Catholic and taught um, was like very much adamant, go to Catholic school. Um, and I think like it led just, I think the, the nature of like growing up in a family of um, people with uh, this like psycholo- psychology mindset um, led me into this uh, sort of mindset to question everything. Coupled with like Catholic school, I, I felt like I was questioning everything throughout Catholic school led me to um, feel like a lack of answers. Um, but this like fascination and love for religion as well. Like I love all religions. I think religions are fascinating and they've driven the world. They've brought us together and they brought us apart, but they've created tribes and religions are beautiful at their core. I'm going to get heavy with you right now. Hit me. This is uh, Santiago, Siri, and I talk about this a lot. Religions are the quasi blockchains of the ancient world. They help bootstrap sort of society and what it is to be a good person. So you can go back and prove the stories throughout history of what it was like to be a good person. They try to teach you how to like become a good person in real time. Um, yeah. Thinking about like religions as bootstrapping mechanisms throughout history or something like that. You know? That's beautiful. Um, I subscribe to that. I think religions are, are, are that and they're forks like, you know, they evolve. Um, as beliefs evolve and humans evolve with those beliefs, they subscribe to new religions that serve them. And yeah, religion, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of parallels for like what we're doing right now and religion. Oh yeah. It's like, what, what is humanity? Why are we, why are we all like in this together? Like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Um, how are we connected? And if you look back at like history, every war, every like conflict was started and ended by, in my, in my eyes, by commerce. It's like by communication and then commerce. Why do all these countries love each other or not fight? It's like because there's economic incentive for them not to fight. How do you bridge them with a common currency, a common ideology? You give them this common like language like it's it's give them a common language in the form of a currency that is Bitcoin. Well, I actually had this argument with Matt O'Dell in person over the weekend. I had a college buddy in town. We met up with Matt. We shot the shit about Bitcoin and like a lot. Like so, that's like another big debate, like a side debate in Bitcoin is like does it produce a dystopian future or uh, a utopian future? And some people argue dystopian. I would argue. I wouldn't say utopian, but like I think it would make or. Sorry, that's a terrible framing. Not dystopian or utopian. Uh, violent or peaceful. I think that's a better framing. Um, some people said more violent uh, because of the potential for the wealth gap to increase uh, in a Bitcoin world, which is definitely a possibility. Uh, but I think what you're building would would uh, fight against that. Um, or a peaceful revolution. And I think what you just brought up explains how it could be peaceful. Like the economic argument for why wars happen is because trade is sort of uh, trade is encumbered by some sort of system, whether it be currency exchange or rough borders or sanctions, whatever it would be. And hypothetically in a future where Bitcoin is the world reserve currency and there are no economic borders through which you can exchange value, 
maybe people will cooperate more and will lead to a more peaceful future. I don't know if I'm being too lovey-dovey hippie right now. No, that's my language. I love that. Yeah. That's what I'm building towards. If not, if I'm wrong, I, I am sorry. Right. <laughs> like, but that's like something yeah. here. Are we naive? That's another big question on this podcast. Are we naive? And if not, the, the we'll- one argument that, that I've heard, um, that I, like, I think a lot about pendulum swings mm-hmm. as the world changes at the scale at which it's changing right now, not the scale, the pace, both, both. Yeah. The pace and the scale. We've never had, you, you launch like a feature in an app that like is anti-privacy and it affects a billion people. Like the scale of that is fucking unbelievable. Very true, very true. And the pace of it is like every two weeks, Facebook is launching code. So it's compounding. It's compounding. Mm-hmm. So somebody makes like a, like Apple, I, you know, I think one, one of the most brilliant things for privacy was like Tim Cook going into like uh, the, I mean, what was it? Going in front of Congress. And they were like, give us this data. And he was like, I wish I could help you guys. I don't have it. What a fucking answer. Oh my God. Right? Like, just what a precedent for Apple to be like, if we had it, great, we'd give it to you. We don't okay. have it. That's the precedent. That's the world that is like, we're, we have to live in and the scale in which the companies that will exist in the future have to protect the, the, the people that they're affecting. So that brings up another interesting point. Like, so this, what you just said reminds me of like the, the meme that goes around in FinTwit and crypto Twitter a lot where it's like, he's a guy. He said, bye. He said, what? He said, bye, 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 bye. And now we're going to make a sale. And then it's like, sell, 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 sell. So it's like, um, I completely forgot where I was going with that. What were you just describing? Uh, Tim Cook, privacy, Apple. Yes. Precedence. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, uh, the whiskey's getting to me. The precedent. So it's the point I was real. trying to make there is it feels as if all it takes is a little bit of courage from one stalwart in an industry to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. We're not going to accept this. It seems as, as though there's almost a complacency over the market. It's like, oh, this is just the way things are. Like, we're going to comply with this. Like, it seems as though to change things... There needs to be a bit of courage in the market, particularly from industry leaders or big businesses or fast, uh, quickly growing businesses to say, hey, this is the new way. We're going to do it this way. Like we're going to stand against the grain and sort of change the perspective and the interaction with this product. And basically somebody to have the balls to stand up and say, hey, this is what I think. We need to change the world. That's why I was so pumped about Jack. Last week, taking a principal stance on Bitcoin in particular, because it was like so goddamn refreshing. It's like the last couple decades since Steve Jobs, obviously he didn't die 20 years ago, but since Steve Jobs died, it's been hard to find very many CEOs with as much principal as he had. And Jack, for all the flack he gets with Twitter and the banning and the censorship and whatever, uh, I thought his stance on Bitcoin and being principled about it in particular was very refreshing. Just like you don't see that that often. I, I agree. It's it takes this um, focus and this long term thinking that I would I would say like the first time around I didn't have 
I don't think I saw this like long game of what the world could be and how I could impact that. And when I look, I mean, I think Jack is like one of the best CEOs with the, like the longest vision of anyone. And arguably like my, my prediction is I think he'll be the most powerful person in the world in the next 10 years. Did you see Arjun's tweet? I, I talked to Arjun about this. I don't, I didn't see the tweet. Um, oh, Arjun tweeted out. Oh, we got to pull it up. Okay. Um, um, Arjun and I like probably agree with a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, I think we actually talked about this. Um, you keep ripping. I'll pull this. Yeah. So like, I think Arjun and I were actually talking about the, the, like, what does cash app to square combo look like to, to Twitter combo? Um, I mean, it's, that world is fucking massive. Like, that future is incredible. Yeah, so here's, and, here's Arjun's tweet. The year is 2024. Via Musk-like maneuver, Cash App and Twitter have morphed, creating a Bitcoin-native millennial bank on top of the most important communication platform on the planet to offer uncensorable speech and payments. Jack wins the Nobel Peace Prize. So good. <laughs> so good. So good. It's yeah. actually, like, I can see this happening. Yeah. Like, that... And, Twitter, I mean, you, you and I are both active on Twitter. Um, I think one of the reasons we love Twitter is the trans... I, I, I'll speak for myself. Um, and then let me know what you think. Um, I had a hard time getting into Twitter when I first got into it. I think it's like, it was interesting, but I was like, what do I tweet about? Why? It's an acquired taste. It's an acquired taste. Uh, somewhere to this bourbon we're drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good. Um, but yeah, how do you, like, how do you get into Twitter? And my, one of my friends, uh, Ryan Dewijin, he wrote this blog post of like how to be good at Twitter and filter, filter, filter. Yeah. Filter. It, it takes a, it's a process. It takes, it takes trust the process, trust the process. Like it, it takes interaction. <laughs> like you have to interact with it. Like, and so obviously with anything in life, yeah, it is, it's kind of like life in a, digital form it's our thoughts being broadcasted out in the world and this sort of like we you know the i think the best things i've ever done in life have been like when i've shared a thought when i've shared an idea and it's been like beaten down and changed and then being like okay well maybe that wasn't a good idea if i can do that in a public sphere and somebody can like say you're right you're wrong you're right you're wrong and you can like build on that, like most of my most formative thoughts, I think over the last 10 years, I think I just, nine years, I, I joined Twitter nine years ago, um, have come from like putting my thoughts out on Twitter and seeing what the world thinks. And my thoughts have compounded on that. And it's sort of this beautiful hive mind. Oh, it's, it's, it's like a definition of a hive mind. It's definition of a hive mind. So going back to sports analogies, lacrosse sports analogies in particular, like a lot of the one thing that was mentally beat into us on uh, my high school lacrosse team was like, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And basically what that means is like, you need everybody on your team to be prepared from the f- first starter to the last player on the bench. Uh, and I think Twitter as an information sharing platform gives the ability for the weakest links to access the best information and yes. sort of bootstrap. Like you create, everybody's on a le- level playing field of the conversation where you can peek in and sort of, you can strengthen the weakest links by having open conversations and 
I don't, I don't know if I'm being too pretentious right now or whatever, but like, this is honestly what I believe. Like I believe the more access to information and more importantly, quality information, which is dictated by likes and retweets and a sort of cream rising to the top, like meritocracy is imperative and is changing society. Um, that was my drunk rant. I, no, I think that's great. Uh, tell it to Jack when he comes on. Like, <laughs> hopefully he listens. Yeah, and yeah. it's it, it, it's, and it's like, spot on. It's yeah. it's the it's the democratization of ideas in a digital format. But it's, even though I'm about to interview Jack, I will say, I do think, I do think, Twitter needs to step out of the equation a little bit. The company. Just like needs to, like I said, Twitter's all about filtering and picking, like it, it is like the user experience, like you need to design your own experience on Twitter. You need to decide what information feeds you want to have access to. You need to be able to block and mute the trolls. It is a process. Those people exist. They exist throughout the whole world. The trolls, the haters, people are going to hop in your menchies and shit on you. No matter what your political views are, no matter what you believe in, there's going to be somebody there fighting you. Just filter them out. Like if you, all your like Twitter is the best communication tool that's ever been created. That's why this podcast is here right now. That's why I'm here right now. It's like this podcast would not be a thing if I did not DM somebody on Twitter and be like, "Hey, we should meet up and talk about Bitcoin." Like I literally would not be here. And the thought of that beauty being able to be bastardized because a bunch of people are like screaming, like these people have bad ideas and you should ban them. It makes me sad. Like, I think, uh, maybe fucking up my future interview, but I think, uh, I think there is a way to utilize Twitter and that Twitter can step out of the equation that makes everybody happy. And it's rigorous filtering. How do you empower the individual to control their experience of how they interact with the world? Yeah. That's, that should be the goal of Twitter. And it's, it's so tough. Like, I don't envy... Jack's problems and the Neither team's do I. problems. That's like I'm so like. It's so tough. It's yeah. like how do you create a constitution? And let me make that clear. Like I don't hold him responsible for that at all. Like, no. Like the, I, wanna, the, I can't the world, imagine having that power. Or like not even that power. That responsibility. Excuse me. The best platform in the world is on his shoulders and like no pressure. Like yeah, exactly. It's how do you write the the modern, ever changing constitution for what can be shared protecting your users, letting them protect themselves. It's like, I, I mean, I don't know an algorithm in the world that has been invented to do that. And we're, it, it's like on the cutting edge. Like, it's like, well, how do you do it? What, I don't, I, don't I, it, I have never seen a, like, of all the people who are fighting for free speech and all the people who are fighting for, for fighting for, um, you know, uh, anti-hate, speech and controlling their experience it's like where's the solution write the algorithm i don't i have i i couldn't come up with it i don't know it doesn't what exist does it, look, it doesn't like, exist what is right what is wrong it's this i mean when you put everybody's brain friction, in the friction ether, exists it's a law of nature like yeah. there's going to be friction like literally my hand rubbing against this table and then ideas rubbing against each other like there's going to be friction no matter where it goes back you, to the pendulum theory uh, it, it, the pendulum theory i i i, I, I strongly believe in is the world will correct itself, humans will correct themselves, and you put enough out there into ether, and like, I'm okay with people who do not like agree with me online. I'm okay with it. I don't like it, it's not, it's not enjoyable to my Twitter exper- Twitter.com experience, 
but like, it's okay, it exists, and those are real people out there that have brains. Well, okay, let's just say that there's no bots. Let's remove the bot <laughs> equation. Block the bots, the first, that's first off. I haven't, I haven't experienced so much bot exp uh, activity recently. Yeah, ETH bots are gone, at least. XRP bots gone? I, I think those are paid shills. I don't know if they're bots, but... Okay. Yeah. So let's just say, like, if all humans had a, an account or multiple accounts, maybe some anon accounts that were, like, out there. That's fine for me. I love that. I think everybody should be able to voice their opinion. I was actually... I was in Japan about a year and a half ago. Uh, I met with Twitter, Twitter Japan, and I was fascinated to learn that people have an average of about four to five accounts. And that's for the- What? Yeah. Really? Yeah, real life. And Full transparency, I have two. Tales from the Crypt. Ask, ask Jack about different cultural versions of how people have used, it actually goes to your point. How do you make Twitter for everybody? That's part of like how J Japan, like the, just the mentality of Japan, they live in this, in this world that is like their own. It's so different than like the Western Twitter. Mm -hmm. So they've made it their own by spinning up all these different accounts. And, and so they have all these anon accounts from their personas. And I don't think they're like bad people. I don't think they're like hiding their identity. I think they're just finding their lane and they're finding their, what they're interested in. And they're like, I'm super into anime. I'm super into baseball. I'm super into this and that. And they talk and they engage in what they're interested in about. And they do it freely because Twitter. And like, that's the beautiful part of Twitter. So how do you, how do you make that for everybody and not just make it a hack on top of Twitter? Right. I'm happy I don't have to solve that question. I'm very happy I don't have to solve the question. Um, maybe I'll ask Jack in a couple of weeks. I mean, and again, it's something I'm fast. I don't want to focus on this interview, but like, especially while we're in this interview, but um, it's something that fascinates me. It, it, it is, I, I mean, again, it's why we're here tonight. It's a powerful tool and harnessing it in the most advantageous way possible for every human is something that fascinates me. Like, I think about it every day. Is it good for the world, do you think? Yes. I do, too. I think so. Yeah. Um, it feels in the present that there is debate of if it, can be, if it is good for the world, but I think that's short-term thinking. I think that's saying, oh, you know, uh, Donald Trump tweeted this. It's like, you know, we might have a world war because of Twitter, but I think the world will figure itself out and we will, this pendulum will swing back. And like, I mean, I, I see, you know, that's the point I would like to make is that I think the empathy creation from Twitter is way yes. bigger than the hate creation. Exposure. I think being able to see through somebody's eyes, like, especially like in war torn areas, like in Syria in 2012, 2013, being able to follow people documenting the war on the ground and see through their eyes, like the empathy that created, I was like, holy shit, I'm a white boy in fucking Chicago. I can't imagine being in this situation right now. I was like, God bless you. Like, holy shit. Like that would, I had a lot of holy shit moments via Twitter being like, I can't believe people live life this way. Exposure. Yeah. Access to ideas. That is the core of like what balances the world. Like, I, I mean, I'm going back to Catholic school. I felt I was in a white homogenous Catholic school in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I felt, I don't know how to describe it. it this is, I don't talk about this a lot, but like, I felt this imbalance. I was like, what am I, 
like I you know grew up with a Hispanic mother, like very like much part of like my individual identity and culture and 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 Jewish father. Like I felt this sort of like imbalance. I was like, I I, I felt like something wasn't right. And, you know, through like I mean this kind of this is actually a deeper conversation, but my dad got laid off by the bank. Um inspiration we can talk about later if, if you'd like but oh i i uh can resonate with that inspiration very well love it um ended up going to public school and mm. just being i mean it was like twitter it was like every like i i, I think the, the 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 stat that they that they had was like it was the most diverse public school in north carolina um it was the second largest public school in north carolina um i was just like forced to meet so many people and be exposed to so many different, I think it was, we represented 65 different countries. Oh, shit. And it was, it was amazing. Like I fucking loved high school. There was so many amazing people. There was so many people that inspired me from different walks of life. And I just like, I went all in. I was like, this is amazing. This is what I was lacking in life. And this is like where my brain went. I was like, I have to learn everything and know everything that I had not known before. And having that exposed me to all these different ideas, all these different thoughts, and, and just like, just inspired me. I, I just never felt so empowered up until that point in my life of coming off of like this like confused Catholic school, middle school kid being like, whoa, this is the real world. Like these are real people. This is like what life's about, like right. different ideas, different opinions than mine, and not necessarily agreeing with them and being, you know, this like chameleon, but like, being, Chall- being challenged. Yeah. And that's like, nah, I fucking love that story. Again, like, we moved back to uh, the Philly area from South Carolina for because of a very similar situation. And yeah, I uh, came back to Philly, was in public school for a few years, and then went to private school. But yeah, the culture shock, like, I, and again, like real life culture shock of moving from place to place has made me who I am today. Like, I like to say this a lot, it's just cheesy, but like I am the culmination of my experiences and my experiences are vast, not vast, but I've only ever traveled to like two, three or four countries outside the U.S., but um, I feel like different, meeting different types of personalities in different parts of the country has made me who I am today. And again, like Twitter just makes that possible for everybody. You don't have to move a geographic location to access somebody's mindset in a different place. And that empathy creation is something that we don't realize, like, the power of it. I don't think most people do. I do, I believe. It is crazy. Again, I think it's the most powerful tool that's ever been created, and it's it's figuring out how to harness that empathy and realize that, yes, there's a lot of hate, but I believe the empathy creation on that platform in particular way outweighs the, the hate i i totally agree i think i think that um it, it there's I'll, I'll like actually this is not a completely original thought this is a, a an idea that was um given to me by a friend uh david bernstein started this mm-hmm. thing called run for america um to get progressive candidates uh bipartisan um, nonpartisan um candidates into government how do you get new ideas into government is his whole life mission. I met him. We were both like 24, 25. We were at a dinner table and 
he told me he was, he was on this like 20 year mission. How do you get more progressive candidates into government? And how do you get new ideas into government, thus ideas into, into people, like spread mm -hmm. to people? And his, his thing was like, I mean, his whole like thesis for, for the next 20 years was just like fascinating to me. He was like able to see the Trump election before the Trump election. He was able to see like the, the pendulum swinging. And when Trump announced that he was being, uh, you know, he was running for president. And I don't know if you remember that. Like it was insane. I was, I where, remember. Where that. were you? What was your mentality? When he, so he was elected in 2016. So 2014 he announced I was here in New York. And I had just read The Sovereign Individual, actually. Nice. And I told my wife, but that girlfriend, now my wife, I was like, he's going to win. Like, I knew. Wow. I knew, like, after reading that book and... Uh, I'm not saying this book is the reason why Trump won or anything, but like uh, they did predict the conditions that would lead to Trump, which were uh, a mass amount of citizens displaced uh, of jobs because of automation. Uh, because of that, you have nationalistic tendencies in turn. People are trying to blame immigrants for their job loss and stuff like that. And then they turn to somebody who, who's going to solve all those problems and change uh, the narrative and flip the sort of paradigm on its head and Trump was that obvious candidate who doesn't care. And for all the hate Trump gets, I, I do think it was refreshing. I do have the sort of let's burn it down, not let's burn it down mentality, but like, hey, we need to throw a fucking wrench in this thing and people need to wake the fuck up. So some parts of me are happy that it was elected or people are now like, how did it get this bad? It's not even that people know why it's this bad. People are beginning to question, how did it get to this point where a celebrity apprentice is our president. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like and, and like and again, like I, you were elected. <laughs> yeah, he was elected, but like I, Trump to me is like, whatever. Like I don't see him as a, an enemy. I don't see him as an ally. I'm just like he is a symptom of the system yes. that we have created over time. That that's all he is to me, and. The fact that he was elected, if it opens people up to questioning the system they grew up in, which I would argue nobody is, or not nobody, but a vast majority of people have not questioned their whole lives, I'm all for that. I'm not for Trump. I'm for the questioning of the systems you grew up in. And hey, freaks, I would argue they're pretty fucked up and we should change them. <laughs> I, I, I have to agree with that. I think it's like, it's... I never would say that I if I could if I had control that if I wish I would I would do it any differently to be honest. I think that Trump is the sort of necessary evil that has to exist to bring in the good, bring in the the swing, bring in the fire under people's asses Fuck like yeah. hey, we need to fix this like Donald Trump's our fucking president right now. Yeah, like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. But with that being said, it's not like we should revert to, like, the, like, the system that we came from. Like, the, Donald Trump is president because the system that we came from is... And broken. It's broken. Today. It's broken. Like, yeah. you cannot have politicians with no term limits fucking, like... Again, like, I go back... I don't know if I've described this on this podcast before, like, but the whole, like... 
mechanism of democracy in its current form is still an anarchism of like 1776. Like we vote for people to go to a centralized place to speak on our behalf when we have technologies like Twitter where we can speak for ourselves. Like it just like fundamentally does not make sense to me. I'm not saying we should go to direct democracy or anything like that, but I'm saying like we should probably adapt and like we don't need to give up our voice to these assholes who are psychopaths and are dead set on getting position rather than actually changing the world. Um, the, Repu- where- the Republic is failing us. Yeah. The, and, and, you know, it's a question of will, like, the, I mean, democracy fail us as well. Like, yeah. probably so. But at least it's like bringing truth to the situation. Well, okay, maybe argue that truth was, like, truth with truth, with a re- completely representative democracy, Hillary would have gotten elected. And would the pendulum have swung so far that like we would have corrected or would we have keep would we would we keep Very igniting the fire? That's a good and, question. And while like, you know, I think Hillary would have been a better president, I do not necessarily agree with like if I zoom out for this like 50-year time frame that I hope to be alive, that I hope to like play a part in the world and like to help the world and humanity advance, like, I don't, I think Trump might be better long-term to exist as this fucking awful individual that is a representation of a failed republic. Like, that might be a better world. Yeah. Which is really tough. Really tough to... I would argue Hillary could have played that character as well. I'm not the biggest Hillary fan. Like, again, like, you talk about career politicians... People that don't deserve to get to where they are. Um, she wouldn't have ignited a large enough, like, anti-Hillary. Like, I, I think that Hillary has her pros and cons. Um, Hillary is very much, like, she would have been, the, like, what, what we have had. I, I just think, again, like, I go back to, like, we shouldn't even be thinking about these people. Like, these are, like, if you think about America's government and, like, when you talk about, like, uh, the three branches, like the judicial, the legislative, and the uh, <laughs> the uh, executive branch. I almost forgot it there. It's probably less than 5,000 people that run the decisions for 320 million people. And, like, to me, that just, like, logically does not make any sense. Like, I think the whole structure of it, I, can't, I don't, I, I'm not going to create a new structure and, like, how we should organize, but, like, just, like, off the bat, like, street smarts, looking at it, like, yeah, this doesn't fucking make sense anymore. Like, that's my mentality. Um, yeah, I think I think one of my I mean, the, one of the things I care most deeply about aside from Lolly and Bitcoin is like mobile voting. I think giving people the ability to we have the technology, we have the security, we have the ability like I am excited by those projects that are bringing mobile voting. If you have a mobile voting solution out there, like bring it to me, I'll give it to the right people. I so believe that that will represent our uh, true democracy and enable politicians to make the decisions and be absolutely held accountable for their decisions on a micro level. Like when your politician goes to like the house, like goes to the floor, if they are not voting with you, you should get a notification on your 10 apps that you have that say, hey, this politician that you voted for did not serve you. They didn't vote with you. You're not who they're looking out for. 
And then, next election, you should strongly consider, did, like, do they deserve your vote? Yeah. Well, where's the transparency? Where's the democracy? Where's, like, where's the truth in it all? Right? And so, Santiago Siri mentioned earlier, and that's like, so what he's building at Democracy Earth, they're working on that, but love Santi and the Democracy Earth team, but I think it should be even more localized. Like, you yes. Should, like, it's where it has to start. So, the, 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 the phrase... Um, communism at a family level, socialism at a community level, democracy at a state level, and anarchy at a international, like geopolitical level, makes a lot of sense to me. Like, I think a lot of these decisions that we uh, allocate to politicians via votes, we can sort of take ownership of now with the technology that exists today. And the decisions just need to be more local as opposed to, like, a, a lot of the things that we vote on affect every American, where I would argue they should just affect your, your local community and, and what affects you more innately, more directly. And it should be more grassroots. Like, I, I think, again, that's, that's why I'm into Bitcoin, because it's grassroots. It's bottom-up. It's it, organic. It is not decreed upon people. You opt into it. And... I believe you can create a, a similar structure with government where it's opt-in, grassroots. You have your local community, and then you guys vote to interact with the state community, and then if your state community likes it, you can interact with the federal community, and then from there with the international community. But it should always be from a very localized community perspective first, and then moving out from there. Nothing decreed from uh, D.C. onto every locality in the, in the U.S., I just, I'm drunk. <laughs> Alex, I'm sorry. Good, it's a good conversation. I, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying this. I think, I think, I am too. Uh, yeah, I want to live in this future we're talking about. Right? Well, is it even possible? Like, am I just drunk? It is more? possible. Does this make sense, freaks? You can yell at me. No, I, sense. I'm an eternal optimist. Because, well, the reason I like want to have this, like, and I love hashing, pun on pun, pun intended hashing this out with you it's because a lot of the uh a lot of debate gets bifurcated and it's like you're either you believe this or believe that and a lot of people don't explore the gray areas of like hey let's recognize that we're humans we're fucking stupid to a certain extent and we sort of need to figure this out together and i think there should be more like again go back to twitter and why it's open and why it should be open like this is why it's important like yeah, get those ideas out there. And yeah. like, I, I, I mean, I am a big believer that I am, well, I'm a, I'm a, I am a proponent to never be dogmatic about anything. And it's, it's just this like principle that I have. And it's tough in the world that we live in because I like, I think I'm right about a lot of things. I like, I want to build the world that I want to live in. And I want to be working towards like something better. And it's a struggle that I have because it's like, is that North Star right? Is, am I right? Like, so many things come up um, in our lives that, like, question that North Star. Like, are you building to something better? Like, I, I just got, like, I mean, I, I've been a big, like, I love cooking. I love. I thought you said cocaine for a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he loves that cooking. 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 <laughs> 
eating cooking. I legit thought you said I love cocaine. I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, big admission we're of the going, podcast. We're going, <laughs> we're going really, we're going into it. Alex loves into cooking. Me. I love cooking too. Cooking. There we go. What do you like to cook? I do love to cook. What do you like to cook? Uh, very good at making a beef bovignon. <sighs> if you want a beef bovignon in a nice cold winter night like tonight, I can make that for you. Uh, burning the cognac is the most important part. Speaking of bananas, Foster, one of my favorites, a absolute like family recipe. Um, burn the cognac. Yeah, yeah, it's good. The cognac has that nice, that nice little. It's <sighs> so good. Yeah, yeah. They so I've, I've experimented actually with burning um, high alcohol um, bourbon, and it's also very good. Really? Yeah. Um, with various things, as long as as long as it lights. I think over eighty one. Yeah, something yeah. like over 81 proof or something like that. And but. you actually get to test the brand a little bit because you, you, there's like, I never knew this before, but you test the validity of the alcohol content by when if you burn it. Burns. it. If it burns. Will it burn? Interesting. YouTube channel. Put it out there. Interesting. There. Will it burn? Um, um, I, but there's, there's people that say it's like 85 and then you burn it and it's like, no, it's, it's 80. 70. Science. Yeah. That's interesting. Lucky uh, Henny. Henny's a good... Uh, and he's a good um, cognac. There it, it burns. is. It burns. Okay. Nice. It burns. Yeah. Let's burn. Uh, so, get, so cooking, where was I going with cooking? I don't know. <laughs> cooking, what were we talking about? We are talking about, we got political. We got religious already. We're, we're hitting all the boxes. Um, I don't know. Cooking. Cooking for me is just therapeutic. Uh, it's a process. Helps me get away from Twitter for like three hours a day or something like that. Same. I, I think I, that's not where I was going, but I, oh, oh I, I remember where I was going. All right. Veganism. Ooh. Are you Controversial. Vegan? Are you vegan? No, I eat everything. Okay. Um, I, you know, born and raised North Carolina. Uh, every meal growing up was meat. I had meat in it. Um, never really thought twice about it. Um, transparently started dating a vegan. Mm-hmm. And got exposed to like a different worldview and have been thinking a lot about that worldview of like, what is life? Where, like, where do we break down? What is like a, what is, what is life? Like, how do we understand what is the value of life? Like if aliens came down, would they eat us? Would, be, we, would we be cool with aliens eating us to get cosmic again? Like, they're, they're a more advanced species. I do not want to be a galactic cattle, right? Me neither. Me neither. And the, the sense of empathy overwhelmed me in being like, well, shit. Like, I grew up in a, in, a, in a state that had more pigs than people. Like, do I want to be a pig? And it fucked me up. So do, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, going through this, this, like, I love cooking. I love making every ingredient. I love traveling. I love the, the, the culture of cooking. Like I feel like cooking and eating is this universal language that brings us all together. And so I was, I was like talking about this idea of, of being like this carnivorous being versus a vegan being and this disparity between the two. Like, what is life and where does it break down? And how do you decide, like, is a shrimp deserving of life or is a cow deserving of life or is a human deserving of life? What about a carrot? Is a carrot deserving of life? Like, I've read about mushrooms communicating with trees. Like, 
what the fuck are like where is life break down and like what can we eat and are we at a time when we can value life as such and i'm i I, like it goes back to dogmatism i'm not dogmatic about anything i'm i'm open to being proven wrong i'm open to like finding something new but i always am looking for truth you know looking at like like hume hume talked about it and way ahead of his time and fucking like just brilliant and hated and like didn't need any external validation like someone who just believed that this is what humans were looking for they were looking to not need resources to like be just this like self-sustaining being and looking for truth is what it all came down to and that's what i'm looking for and yeah, I, I like to think I get like fucked up every day with truth, and I like love it. So well, that's, that's why we're into Bitcoin, because as Saifedina Moose would argue, Bitcoin is the only objective, excuse me, the only objective suite of facts that exists in the world. Um, it feels like truth. It is truth to me. I mean, it technically is truth if you're defining truth as something. Uh, SHA two fifty six hash algorithm. Per ten minutes, like I can see it. It is truth of what happened in the Bitcoin blockchain at a certain point in time, whether or not the uh, intentions of the users of the Bitcoin blockchain uh, are commensurate with the outcome of where their UTXOs end up is another question. But regardless, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain documents what happened within any given block, and so that's been a big theme of the. Ben and this podcast recently is like I think in modern society we're becoming detached from reality and and what I like to harp on is in finance and central banking in particular is the tweaking of sort of metrics and projections that are used to define the monetary policy which end up being completely bullshit in time and I think that is actually a grave disservice to humanity because nothing is rooted in truth it's rooted in hey i think this will be this way and if it doesn't turn out to be this way i'm gonna uh i'm gonna recalibrate and project it another way and hey if it doesn't hit that projection in the future i'm just gonna keep recalibrating and we've gotten to a point where we've recalibrated so much that we're so detached from reality and again in the financial world in particular that we are literally detached from financial reality like the financial world it's a bit asinine when you, when when you actually understand it. Yes, um, going back, I, so I, I met Elizabeth Stark at a at a um, we met up and we're discussing like you know how do we work together? What's the future of Lightning? And seeing all these like commonalities of how we like saw the world and sort of this like idealism of of what the world becomes like with Bitcoin is is so exciting. And we went to this party. Um, after after hanging out, and the there's this guy there that like really like he he was like a total he just didn't like he didn't understand Bitcoin, and I've met a lot of people like this over the years, and I'm like I I never want to like sell someone anything I just like I don't believe in it I'm like you should come to it on your own research. Like, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna be the person that like sells you something, sells you this ideology. I was sold many ideologies throughout my entire life and I don't like being sold. What I told him was like, how do you, 
What do you know about money? And what it came to is like he did not fundamentally understand money. I would argue that 99% of people do not. And it's like, how do you encourage somebody? Like, like I almost think that the biggest education... Well, that's Bitcoin what, is not that hard when you relate it to money. Money is so fucking hard to understand. Exactly. And hard to explain. And it's like, I had to give him a brief lesson of history of money. And, and then it started to encourage. And I'm just waiting for that text of being like, I earned my first Bitcoin. I shopped at Jet. Like, I bought a toaster and I got my Bitcoin. And I get it. Thank you. And I don't need that validation, but at the same time, it's like, I want to, I just want to educate people on what fucking, what money is, like why it matters. What is, like, how do you own money and how do you own an asset? Like going back to what, like the, the, the central belief of Bitcoin, Alex, how do you give everybody? Alex, how scary is it that we live in a world of 7.5 billion people and I would argue conservatively, or excuse me, like liberally. Liberally, 7.5 billion people. 7.2 Liber- don't. Liberally, 200 million people actually understand Bitcoin. Or not the Bitcoin, money. money. Money, the concept of money, like what money is. People do not understand what money is. And like, I did not understand what money was until I was fucking 22 years old. And then when I understood, I was like, holy fuck. Like, there is no good money on this planet. Like, and, but... I mean, we're, we're already two hours and six minutes in right now. We could dive down a whole nother rabbit hole. I guess this is where we should end it. But like, how imperative is it that people understand this concept of money and how Bitcoin plays into the utility of money in particular? Um, it is the education piece. Yeah. It's, you can't tell someone the value of Bitcoin until they understand the value of what they value. And what they value is U.S. dollars, is what they value is Kohl's cash. Like, you got to tell them what Kohl's cash is. Like, sorry, but like, Kohl's cash is not real. No. It's, it's, it's controlled by Kohl's. And like, the U.S. dollar is similarly controlled by the U.S., which is not, it's, it's, it's an organization that says this is what the, 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 the currency of the world is based on. Countries all over the world literally have U.S. dollars that are backing their own currency. And we look at Venezuela, we see where that breaks down. And like, I am fucking terrified for the next financial crisis because it doesn't look like the last one. It is worse. It is scary. And like, what, when people realize what money actually is and what it's backed by, it is a scary world. And that is what I'm in like reluctantly waiting for, for people to finally start valuing our future currency. I believe our future currency is Bitcoin. Plenty of other people would argue with that. I think it's the closest thing that looks like a store of value that can replace gold. And that is what I'm building. God, we could keep going for hours. I love it. Thank you for coming through. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we met. This is great. I'm glad we met too. Yeah. You know, you just get a couple of whiskey drinks in you and life starts flowing. But again, like, I don't want to sound like a pompous prick, but like, I do worry. Like, people don't understand what money is. And like, and again, I go back to this example a lot. Like, I've asked a lot of people in person, like, 
when they like come up to me like, oh, Bitcoin's just a Ponzi. Like it's fuck it. It's a fucking scam. I'm like, all right. Like I'll just fuck with them. Be like, all right. Like what? Like I'll pull out a five dollar bill. Be like, what does this represent? They'll be like, yeah, five dollar bill. And they'll be like, I'll be like, all right. Like, but what is a five dollar bill? Like it's it's currency backed by our government. I'm like, eh, not particularly, but like, what backs our currency? And I shit you not, nine times out of ten, people will say gold. And I'm literally <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, forty years ago, ninety percent. Like this is anecdotal. This is me in my experience. Maybe I'm hanging out with too many dumb people, but nine times out of ten, people legitimately think our currency is backed by gold. And I had to be like, no, it's not. Like please look into what money is. And, and I, 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 I actually, I go back to like my Ingon classes and I was like, what did I learn? Like I, I reading, reading the Bitcoin standard, which I literally send to every client, like retailers everywhere. I, I might be, I hope to be the biggest buyer of that book ever. Cause I think it's the best book out there that exists to educate people, not just on Bitcoin, on money, History of money. And and it's like, if you argue with me on what money is, read it, like read other, like it's biased, you know, it clearly is like leading up to like, oh, well, money is shitty, like let's believe that something else should exist. I get that. But Bitcoin is the first thing that convinced me that like gold, currency, everything is flawed and that the, the closest thing that looks like to the future is Bitcoin. And I... Send it to everybody. I believe in it. I think everybody should understand the value of what money is. It literally connects us all. Like, better than WhatsApp, better than anything, it is like the thing that keeps us together. It is the biggest social contract that exists. Yes. Literally, money is one half of every transaction. And like... Oh, that's good. This is the last... All right, this is the last topic. But, like, how fucked up is it? Like, money... But money is so pervasive in pop culture. More money, more problems. Like money, money, money. Get money, get money. But nobody understands what the fuck it is. Like that is the most ironic thing in the world to me. Like that is literally what drives pop culture is money, 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 money. And nobody knows what it is. We have drank three quarters of the bottle of iron (laughs) smoke, straight bourbon whiskey. Alex, it's been an incredible conversation. It's been good. Do you have any parting words for the freaks out there? Oh, man. Um... Thank you uh, for being a part of this movement. I think like people who are following, like, I think you are the at the forefront of like educating people on this space of like making it accessible. We need people talking about this. So thank you. We need more literate people talking about it. We need <laughs> people who can explain it better than I can. So if you're out there, <laughs> raise your hand. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you for having me. Alex, thanks for coming on, man. Pump what you guys are doing with Lolly. Um, if you guys haven't checked it out, lolly.co. Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. Lolly.co. Lolly.com slash R-E-F slash T-F-T-C. Yeah. That is our ref link. Um, thank you for building what you're building. Thank you for joining the front lines of Bitcoin. Uh, again, do you have a parting note for anybody other than... Um, I, I encourage you to share it with your friends. I think that probably most of the listeners are clearly believe what we believe. Um, future, I think, looks like Bitcoin. Um, I think that the biggest thing is like we want we reward people for sharing. It's 
like we want people to share this with their friends. Like I needed something to share with my sister, my mom, my dad, my friends from back home, and I built Lolly for that. And like I encourage you, like even if you're not a big online shopper, use Lolly, download it, share your link, earn Bitcoin, real Bitcoin. Like this, it's it's not just sharing your ideology with people. It's sharing Lolly sharing this idea with people and as soon as people have skin in the game as soon as people own actual bitcoin i think they'll be like me and i think they'll start to believe i like that mindset i love that mindset uh alex you've got me the drunkest i've been in a while on this podcast <laughs> i appreciate that um takes two where can we find you on twitter at alex edelman at, at alex edelman and then at try lolly Try Lolly. Yes. I'm sorry for mispronouncing it. All good. Alex, it's been a pleasure. Um, Thank you, Marty. Check out Lolly. Full disclosure, I mean, I'll disclose this in the the pre-roll ads, but sponsor the pod now. Thank you for coming on. Big supporter. I believe in what you're doing. I believe in what you're doing, and that's like literally the only type of advertiser I'll partner with is somebody who... Game recognizes game. Game recognizes game is the perfect way to describe it. Uh, freaks, if you're liking this, subscribe, rate, review, go check out Lolly. Download it. Seriously, try it. If you're if you're using Amazon every day, why not try out Lolly? Make some Bitcoin. I mean, Prime's cool, but it's sort of fetch right now. And you it's can like, get everything that you would get at Amazon on Walmart, on Jet, on Overstock, and eventually Amazon will join us if we drive enough sales to these other partners. And yeah, we're talking with Amazon. We yeah, love, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna pull sure, a Matt Odell right now too. We're at we're at the bottom of a bear market. Like this is the time to accumulate Bitcoin. All right, um, every bit counts. It every Satoshi counts. Start stacking Sats, freaks. Um, <laughs> Alex, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, thank you, freaks, for listening. Peace and love. Peace and love. <laughs>